What's going on, everybody? Cali Death Podcast back once again. Not even a week later, we're back in your, uh, up in your area, bro. Here we are. And ladies, excuse me. Um, always here with my resident homies. Uh, we're missing the professor again tonight. He's uh, tied up at the moment, but we'll have him next week. Uh, what up, Joel and Casey? What up? What up? And uh, tonight we are, Hi. or today we are, we are uh, joined by a very special guest. Uh, very excited to have this guy on. We got Christian Moonsner. What's going on, Christian? Hey, good to be with you. What's going on? Thank you, dude. Thank you so much for giving your time. Uh, I know you're down in Mexico right now, so we'll have to hear about what area and all that stuff. And, uh, all, any Anything you want to plug before we move forward? No, actually, got... uh, thanks for inviting me to this. Looking forward to this. Hopefully. Cool. No merch stores or anything you want people to go to? Do you oh, got, yeah. You got oh, merch? I, I buy all my stuff, everything that you can. I'm <laughs> 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 a Bandcamp store, but I'm completely not prepared for this. So it's like bandcamp.com slash Christian Münzner, something like that. And you can get all my solo albums and shirts and cat books there and, and stuff like that. So uh, yeah, definitely check this out if you haven't, because yeah, a lot of people who know, who know me from the bands, they don't know some of the other stuff that I'm doing. So Mm-hmm. Uh, cool, cool. And since we're plugging merch, since we're plugging merch, why don't we do a Cali Death podcast plug real quick? We got some t-shirts for you guys. Um, there you go. Boom. The first run, that's going to be an OG one. I don't know if we're going to do that one again, but this is actually, you know, laying the foundation for some cooler ideas down the road. You guys keep swooping up t-shirts. We'll keep coming up with cool shit. So CaliDeathPodcast.com bigcartel.com go get you some all right here we are guys uh thanks okay. to everybody who's in the chat thanks to all the subscribers if you're not subscribed yet please do um yeah here we are cali death podcast 83 guys and we got a fucking madman a fucking beast but it's, it's you know <laughs> definitely you, a beast he's definitely. he's he's didn't been on our list for a long time as dudes we'd love to have on you know so every time that happens for us where we, where we bring you know an idea for a show to fruition it's always awesome so yes definitely man yeah you've thing. definitely been a huge like like kind of like a mythological shred creature to me <laughs> my whole life like you know like nice. yeah i remember like hearing you know when epitaph came out uh before it came out the, the you guys released uh stab wound and seven i think and i remember it was like only streaming back then in 2003 yeah, it, was it was only before, like it was before the youtube and fan camp days i think YouTube exactly just or something but not not even i think it was 2004 there wasn't even youtube back in the day i remember totally. like, yes and we had, the, to... we had the songs on the website or something like that really yeah I had to take it out of my sound card and go through a mixer to a CD uh -huh. burner to get it on a CD. Like I remember, like I had to go through a big oh, really? process just to get it so I could listen to it. But yeah, no, that it's was crazy, obviously. Man. This you know, year, it's been like twenty years that I joined Necrophages. Like it was in May two thousand two. It's crazy how time yeah. flies. And next year is going to be twenty years that we recorded this album. God, it really like, doesn't seem like yeah. all that was that long ago. You know, yeah. does not seem like twenty yeah. years at all. But, yeah. Yeah. It was a way different time back then, actually, compared to now. Yeah. Much yeah. different. Definitely. Oh, yeah. Still Definitely. leaning on the caveman side of things back then. <laughs> with, like, how things are recorded. Yeah, I mean, well, I guess with Pro Tools yeah, and all that stuff true. being used. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, and, and when you wanted to record like that, it was a lot more effort, you know, <laughs> than, than mm -hmm. yeah, yeah, yeah. Definitely. Yeah, oh, and, and tech the way you know it nowadays wasn't 
wasn't a thing. I mean, this kind of second wave tech test that you have now, it yeah. didn't even, wasn't even seen back then, you know, so it was, it was very different. Dude, there's so much I want to talk about. I don't even know where to begin. I'm like already so stoked about this episode. <laughs> um, and I want to talk about the recording and all that stuff and how you guys revolutionized that back then. So Anthony, take us, where should we start, dude? Yeah, where well, we always like, start. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, man. So dude. Christian, we, as far back as you could remember, dude, uh, when music became like just something it leveled up for you somehow like it wasn't just something you would be hearing yeah. in the background something caught your attention at a young age yeah. that clicked yeah. something i mean i i've always liked music with with electric guitars in it my, my 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 father was listening to rock stuff you know like ccr and stuff like that and and but and i always liked it when it was in movies and things like that but um i ever the 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 first time it really caught me was when my, my neighbor had the tape at uh, the Razor's Edge. The album by ACTC had just come out. I think it was the summer of 1990. And this was when when I um, when when I really became aware of, of when music really started to mean something to me. And then I really got into metal, you know, and people in my school. Mm -hmm. I talked to like when someone had an ACTC shirt, you know, and then they showed me Iron Maiden, then they showed me Metallica, then they showed me Slayer and things progressed from there and got heavier. And then I saw Iron Maiden live in 1993 with my father. It was actually the tour when Bruce Dickinson left. That was the last tour that he did before he left. And he already announced that he was going to leave and people had like these huge signs, Bruce, please don't go and, and stuff like that. And after this uh, concert, I, I was like, hey, I want to start playing electric guitar. And then a month or two later, I got my first guitar, which was uh, an Epiphone SG, which was like a, a copy of the Angus Young model. And mm -hmm. uh, started taking lessons. I a year later and then my my guitar teacher introduced me to ingle monstein and, and steve fai and paul gilbert and green theater and that stuff and then things got more serious for me and i yeah started practicing heavier but i and then i was yeah mainly into guitar stuff and, and progressive stuff and, and and hard rock stuff and hair metal and things like that and, and power metal but i wasn't really into into any any heavier music and it wasn't until i heard uh, the first children of Autumn album when this came out in 98 then I was mm -hmm. like, wow, this is virtuoso guitar playing, but with like kind of more extreme vocals and black metal elements. And then I was like, actually, extreme metal isn't all just noise. And then from there, then in that same year, The Sound of Perseverance by Death came out. I remember that. And I saw Arch Enemy live at Wacken with the Amot Brothers. And and, and then, then I got really like into into more, I mean, it wouldn't even, it, yeah, into like a metal with extreme vocals, like that opened this up for me. Mm -hmm. And then I wanted to play in a band, but I never could like find people in, in my area. And then there was one band who announced in a, in a magazine, I said technical death metal from, from a city where I live. And I, I didn't know a lot of stuff. I knew death and children of boredom and arch enemy and stuff like that. And I thought it sounded like death or something, but that band was actually defeated sanity. And they were very different, right? But, uh, and I didn't know much about that style of music that they played, but they were super cool yeah. guys. I went to see them. And I, I played and they were like, hey, we like how you play, but you don't really have a background in the type of music. And then I'm yeah, but I can learn. And then Lilith, the drummer, he copied a lot of stuff for me. So then so from there I got into Suffocation and Monstrosity and he copied me in this, this Incarnate album and Nocturnal Threshold and stuff like that, Immolation, Deeds of Flesh, these kind of things. Mm. And he, Orgats, I remember he copied me. So back then it was in 1999 and we still were doing like uh, tape trading, you know, so he copied this yeah, stuff. Yeah. 
And do you have a class? So, do you have a classical like, background yeah. at all? Sorry? Sorry to cut you off. Do you have a, Do you have a classical background in like a yeah like a, yeah because I can hear that you're my, playing a lot. Yeah, in my family, a lot of people are actually professional musicians. So if I look at my my uncle has his own orchestra, and a lot of my cousins play in orchestra. So my one of my cousins plays in the Nuremberg Philharmonic Orchestra, and, and some play musicals, and many are like professional musicians. My parents played classical piano. My grandfather played, and I was always exposed to classical music. I think you can hear it in a lot of the things that I write, but also I was like, of course, I was the heavy metal kid. And then that, that's why for me, when I first heard Ingwe for the first time, this is when everything changed for me because suddenly both of these two worlds were combined in one. And suddenly I was listening to yeah. something where even my mother would say, wow, these guys, they can really play. And I remember when I first heard Tony McAlpine and, and then I showed this to my mother and my mother, she's not into heavy music, but then she was like, yeah, we, uh, you know, she, she, because she loves classical music and many in my family too, and then suddenly there was something that would connect those two worlds. So this is this is my my, my classical background, definitely. Even though That's I never sick. played formal classical guitar, I, mean, I played piano a little bit as a kid, and I started studied a lot of like classical pieces because we had a lot of sheet music at home, and my parents would play piano, and I would try to practice these things on guitar or at least understand mm. the chord progressions, analyze the compositions, and things like that. Uh, and and this is how I learned about about like how many of the things I compose. You can still tell this. How did you learn those things? Did you like do it by ear? Did you have like tabs or like you know? Because there's everything I tried by ear, but I could read music. I learned to read music, so I I I, yeah. I, I, I read the sheet music. You can read then, it, yeah. yeah, yeah. And then I tried Crazy. to find ways to play it on the guitar. I mean, this was because you know this so was cool. Long time before there was any YouTube or anything. When you got mm -hmm. instructional materials you had to order them from some stores from the US and it would take six weeks until they came sometimes the video format wouldn't work you wouldn't know a lot of people it wasn't as, as popular as nowadays it was the grunge era basically right and most people in high school who played mm -hmm. guitar they were into Nirvana and stuff like that and you wouldn't find people who were into Ingwe or something it was like one guy from my school who had the same guitar teacher he then introduced me to Symphony X and stuff like that but all that stuff was super right. underground in the 90s right it was Dude. i think it was in 98 or 99 when it really changed and metal had this big second coming and then what? all these virtuoso bands came but uh, wasn't the video the original wasn't that john petrucci one with the colorful guitar that was really yes, rock, right? rock I had that one. my, my teacher had that that's for my 15th birthday i remember yeah that. A rock, chop rock discipline is that what it's called yeah, rock, rock, discipline. Uh, rock discipline by John Bertucci, then Rock Chops by, by Richie Cotson was the one that influenced me oh, a lot. And got the uh, yeah. Paul Gilbert ones in Ten Stroke One and Two, and got the Ingwe one, obviously. So I learned a lot yeah. from these tapes. Um, mm. Yeah, because it, like, yeah, there wasn't any YouTube or anything like that back then. You know, there weren't any yeah. any friends that I had to uh, who could play that stuff. That's why also why in the nineties, because all the other guitar players in our school they sucked. So I always thought, oh. And really good you know nowadays you see on youtube you see these 14 year old girls who play in Pelletary and raise x songs and you're like man i, I yeah. still suck on guitar so it was that was kind of a blessing right it was, then, uh... it was always better, better than those guys who only could play nirvana and ramon so i was like yeah yeah, yeah nowadays <laughs> Things are being put into perspective a lot, you know. It's like skateboarding, you know. You're like, there's like some seven year old kid jumping over your head, like, yeah, <laughs> on a board, yeah. like, dude. I mean, I wonder what, where those people are always there, and we just see them. Is it because, is it, is it because, yeah, YouTube and things like that, that people try harder because they get more exposure? I don't know. It's, I, I think they're becoming a child, but she's always there. You see them, dude. It's, yeah, I think it's, yeah, it's it's a progression, right? It's just like yeah, they, they see like they see a video like there's kids that start with you know like Necrophage. I say that a bunch, but yeah. it's kids that start with their first yeah. band they get into that like you got into Iron Maiden, they got into Necrophages first, and then they take they start there, yeah. 
and then they move up from yep. there kind of you know so you start seeing that yep yeah yeah I, I i sometimes i wonder if this is always a good thing because for me it was always like when i got into metal and when i got into maiden and the monster and things like that, i always went back to figure out what were those guys listening to you know right to the early days of rock music because my, my uncle and my father listened to the very old classic rock stuff and like mm -hmm. from the beatles on basically and i think it's important i mean you don't have to be able to play everything but at least kind of understand the evolution where where people are coming from because sometimes you may skip some important steps and sometimes you can kind of hear that in the music you know i think it's always good oh yeah to go back what did your heroes listen to and then get in, check this out you don't have to always like it maybe you like it and then you're like what did those guys listen to and then kind of see mm -hmm. the progression and the evolution i think um because then you also learn how to take influences of other people but how to make this your own over time you know i think this is very important mm -hmm. So much, so much metal goes back to Iron Maiden. Like it's like we, I've said that a bunch, but it's true, you know. And like yeah. it's just such Obviously. a. I mean, of course, Black Sabbath and yeah. Judas Priest yeah. and Thin Thin Lizzy and all these bands that were like '70s stuff. But like right. Iron Maiden, just really, just man, like they just hold it down. They've yeah. held it down so long with and such a core of metal, you know. Like it's true, and this is the, the one band when you go to the to the concerts, you find the classic metal fans and the death metal fans and yeah. the black metal fans and the power metal fans you know they're in the prop yeah they all they all like Iron Maiden. they're all down band that everyone likes, i guess yeah yeah dude it's funny it's true did you uh did you say when you got like your first guitar started playing guitar i, I missed it did, mm -hmm. did you okay. yeah there was a 93 there was the, uh, oh 93 the okay SG, the oh the, F, uh, the sg was your first one okay so okay yeah that was my first one right on because i wanted to do angus you know so <laughs> what did you get after that what was your next guitar my next one was the was the blue Steve Vai model that I still play. Actually, I still use it on oh. almost every record. Oh, the, 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 the Ibanez. Was it a gem? Yeah, yeah the gem yeah. was the, the blue flower pattern. I got this one in '95, oh, and it's still nowadays it's it's built in '91, I think, the one I have, and it's still my favorite guitar that I own. Like, it's still the best guitar that I have. I don't take it on the road anymore, obviously, uh, because it's too valuable for me. Oh yeah, I guess mm -hmm. yeah, for but, sure. But I use it a lot on recording still, and the the the, the solos on the episode album were done. Were also done with a with a blue gem, but not with mine, but with the one of Muhammad's brother. Yeah, but it was gotcha. the same guitar. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you so mentioned. Sorry, but you mentioned Symphony X. I just saw them two days ago, so I was, oh, I was really? uh, absolutely yeah. yeah I I got to see. I mean, I'm, Michael Romeo was just like a, a 25 year anniversary tour, and they're still yep. playing the set list from the last album. So I'm a little bit like, uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> no, it was uh, just I've never seen Michael Romeo you know, live, so I was like, yeah, he's amazing live. I'd, well, yeah. yeah he's just he's just so effortless and just like you know yeah. doing all these funny little tricks and yep. that was awesome yeah. yeah they they killed it man it was awesome i had a great time uh, is there any album better than the odyssey out of their catalog I, I like i like the first four more i have to say i'm a big fan of the first four albums but that's because i'm yeah. a neoclassical freak and the first four were when they were like full-blown neoclassical and then they matured mm -hmm. a little bit yeah. but I, I i i preferred more when they were like super over the top <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you know, I actually really liked. I mean, I'm, I'm I always liked Michael Romeo and watched his videos and stuff, and always been blown away by. I've never really got into him until I'm, I'm not gonna lie, until Underworld came out in 2016. Mm -hmm. Like that album yeah. just ha has like blast beats in it, and like has yeah. like has like really cool. Like it's more aggressive. I mean, obviously they have their ballads on it. You know, they're super yeah. kind of cheesy ballads, which are awesome yeah. too. But um, they just started like leveled the speed up a little bit. You know, and they started yeah. being more yeah, like in your face. Later, yes, yeah, I agree. Definitely. Uh, they were definitely something to see live and uh that band uh i'm, I'm a big fan too of that band haken that opened up too they were just uh -huh. like musically i was like holy shit like, was that your first like, time seeing them live too yeah they've i mean they haven't really toured the states much i don't think but um yeah they were just 
and it's just the rhythms i just don't understand i'm just my brain was just kind of like <laughs> twisted in knots kind of you know but uh but no that was a great show overall it was uh it's still going it was uh definitely one for the one for the books but yeah michael romeo and like has that kind of his own kind of alien style to that whole yeah yeah, yeah. he's even got some classical in there but yeah, he's just a twisted human man i don't even <laughs> i don't even get how he does any of that shit yeah. so how long had you been playing guitar before you started jamming with other people christian i jammed with people very early on like probably been playing for a year or something that's when i already started playing with other people so i, I joined a school band <laughs> Yeah, uh, nice. well, I was playing bass first, and then I switched to guitar. I was playing bass because they already had two guitar players. And I was one of them. So I, had, I played my first live shows from when I was 12 years old. And uh, well, I, I think it's very important to play with real people, you know, because you learn things there that you cannot really learn when you play on your own. I mean, there's so many people who they make amazing YouTube videos and and they're incredible, and then you put them on a stage and then they forget everything that they ever learned, you know. Mm -hmm. And I, I think. Um, do it learning this early on is like a skill that you cannot learn in lessons you cannot learn that by practicing on your own and uh so i've yeah. always been in bands basically all my life since i played so for, for i've been playing for now 29 years and 20, 28 years ago i played my first live shows and uh, never really stopped since then damn man that's awesome so I mean, so you started jamming early on. That was like just a school band. You said it was for like covers, or were you guys doing? Yeah, we were doing covers. I mean, I think the heaviest stuff we played was like like some Metallica and Megadeth stuff, and some Pantera. It was the heaviest stuff we played. But we also played like a lot of played like what did we play? We played like Bed of Roses, and we played many Kravitz songs and Guns N' Roses songs and stuff that was popular. Time, you know, it was back in 1994. So anything Definitely. that was popular at that point, and we played, yeah. So where do, where do you take the step to uh, try and get a band together where you start maybe working on originals or other more extreme stuff that you're not doing in school? Yeah, yeah. I, I, that was probably a year later in the fall, winter of 1995. I met some guys who want to do like own stuff, original stuff and play metal. And we got together and started to write our own songs. And I guess we, we, we sucked pretty bad back then, but we thought we were going to conquer the world, <laughs> nice. you know? Uh, like I think the way no. it always goes for everyone, right? But it was kind of cool yeah. to just work on own stuff. And then, of course, nowadays, if you listen to the recordings, it's it's kind of cringy. But then with the drummer from that band, I played actually for a long time, and I, I tried to get some other bands going with that guy. He completely quit music nowadays. But we had some some bands who never went beyond demo stage. But some of the stuff that we worked on, like some of the riffs that I had for songs that we played, they ended up being like stuff on like on my solo records or some attorneys and stuff, you know. So a lot of and some. So um, that was actually what I what I tried to do, like get a band going with my own stuff. And I always, with attorneys with and nowadays I do a power metal thing, right? And I kind of wanted to always to do something like that back then, but it always failed because we either couldn't find a singer or we couldn't find people who were into that. Um, and then eventually, of course, I joined uh, Defeated Sanity. And when I joined Defeated Sanity through them, I heard Necrophages because they were on a sampler in 98 or 99 when on which there were also like demos of necrophages one of the songs was called by the autopsy and then i listened to that cd at home and listened to that song and i was like what the fuck is that i never heard anything like that in my life before you know mm -hmm. death metal but with like these ingram Einstein kind of guitar solos now you didn't hear that back then it wasn't a thing and i was completely into that and then i asked today what hey what is that then he said from germany and um then the album came out uh onto the production i think in 99 it was 2000 yeah. i remember and uh with that and then the other guys I remember in the field they were disappointed because it was only muhammad on the record and the drum machine 
but I totally loved it. I totally loved the ideas on it, and uh, yeah. And, and, and then they became my favorite band. And then I quit Defeated Sanity because we were like on a different, different ideas musically. And then a few months later, Lila called me and said, "Hey, I know you love Necrophages. Then I just heard that their guitar player quit. And I know you love the band, so why don't you give it a try?" And Muhammad's email address was in the original first edition of Under the Crucifixion. So I wrote him an email. And then he invited me to audition, and I had to learn uh, full body autopsy and to breathe in a casket. And so, so I went to where he lived. It was like 300 kilometers from where I live. And went to the rehearsal room and chanted these songs. And this is basically um, how I joined Necrophages. And this was at the same time, and I was still trying to get my own thing going. But I could already tell back then it wasn't going anywhere. And then I, I put my focus mainly uh, on Necrophages for the next couple of years because. I mean, they weren't a famous band back then, right? It wasn't like nowadays where everybody everybody would like to join the Crafages. Back then, it was really an underground thing. Mm-hmm. Um, this underground band, and some musicians knew it was something cool. But I remember the people were laughing about me. And they're saying, you're never going to have a career if you don't change your attitude. You should now join a band where you make some money. You shouldn't do another underground thing like that. And I always had the feeling, because I could already tell back then that bands like Children of Bodom and Dragon Force were getting big. And they had this also guitar thing. And I could tell. That, that necrophagist kind of would appeal to to a similar kind of audience and and which mm-hmm. it actually did in the end you know i think it was all the same time when this really big hype came with dragon force and the video games and all of that this was the same time when epitaph became big and then suddenly on myspace there were all these guitar players and all these shredders and everything so this was right around the same time when when all of that happened and i before that, a couple of years before that, I always thought that this band is very special and that they're not like other bands. And if people actually get to hear that, then it's going to have an impact, you know. So I always had that kind of feeling with that band. From mm-hmm, the definitely. Yeah. A similar definitely. experience yeah, with for sure. all of us, dude, the first time yeah. we across it. Well, too. I remember uh, the first time I met Matt Satella from Decrepit Birth, and he recorded my band, you know, with Joel and Anthony Odious Mortem. But it was like way before that. I. Even before yeah. I met them, though, it was like our first album before Joel or Anthony were in the band. And uh, I was 21, and it was my first day meeting Matt and everything. Anyways, uh-huh. so we, we recorded at his house, and we were hanging out and all this stuff. And uh, But he was like, dude, there's this band. And he was like obsessed with showing us this band, and it was Necrophages. Mm-hmm. And it was mm-hmm. like, it, it, it was the onset, like like the original recording, you know? Yeah. Um, and it was just like, he just kept putting it on. And he's like, this band is going to be they're going to be important dude they're insane and yeah. he kept telling us about it and i like, remembered that and stuff and like yeah so it's, it's, it's funny that's how i heard about it you know yeah how definitely you, how, like how about you guys yeah well i had like i mean i had the same well actually i heard it from a cannibal corpse forum and i think it was year oh, 2000 really? 2001 my hmm. friend uh adam he was like you know finding all the people would post stuff and he actually had i think it was first it was the demo that was posted the the four song demo i think it was and then um and then onset came out and then we heard that i i was so like at first i was like i couldn't even wrap my brain around it i was like it sounded so kind of like bouncy and happy kind of and i was like it sounds like I, like my brain was like completely yeah. not ready for it and then mm-hmm. uh let I me mean, I, I kept listening to it i was like there's something insane about this you know it's like yeah. my brain i'm trying to understand it and then but right. yeah it, it first started off kind of like kind of like bouncy like circusy like uh-huh. i was like i was like but the solos were blowing my mind i was like what the fuck and then finally i just kept listening to it and i'm like oh shit the both guitars are doing like completely different like counterpoint mm-hmm. stuff to each other and yeah. like and once understanding like the what you guys were both doing or the, what the guitars were doing on both sides i was like oh, mm-hmm. oh my god that's like 
mind blowing, you know, with the the stereo guitar stuff and the bass with the you know all that stuff was doing, and and uh, it just ended up becoming like it stuck in my CD player. I think for six months straight in my my uh, car, and I just yeah, I know every. I could do I could do lights for necrophages like right now. I could yeah. do like I could do like every change. I could do everything like perfect. Yeah. Now it's like it's just a staple in what we get we you know got into, you know, with the technical stuff. But yeah, yeah man. Six months. So that's like uh, well, for me it was going to Amoeba and we had a guy there, I forget his name. It was like Jim or something, some short name like that. But um because we used to go there and we you know, we've talked about it so many times going off of album covers and logos and record labels and that and you just go you know you take a guess and call it we call it the luck of the draw and if you'd get a good one you were fucking stoked well then we met that dude who was working there and he was he was the one who stocked up the death and black metal section of amoeba mm -hmm. and every time we ran into him when he was working he'd be like this 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 and this dude check all this out but one day he was like this is a must like it was different than any other record he had pitched to us he's like i'm not letting you leave this album this list leave the store without this album and i was like <laughs> bring it on dude and yeah it was it was one of those things where dan and i just freaked out on it for a very long time after that and we did a lot of drugs to it too <laughs> <laughs> That's and those awesome. solos trip you the fuck out when you're all hopped up on cough medicine. Yeah, yeah, Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, definitely. So you used to, so you you went over there and learned those two songs, and then started mm -hmm. practicing a bunch. And then how much of uh, Epitaph? We actually have a question in here that was someone who actually kind of relates to it, but he wants uh -huh. to know uh, what riffs on Epitaph were both you and I mean, which ones were you which ones because you did the last song right i know i've always heard that yeah you did the last thing. Song, we, right? both, we both play rhythm guitar on the album so we both each recorded their own individual side but only on five tracks because there's three tracks which muhammad recorded alone uh okay. and five tracks where we both uh and oddly enough one of the tracks he recorded alone is the only track which i co-wrote <laughs> which is symbiotic in theory which is funny um, oh, it had to do with my university schedule and things back then, you know, and, and, uh, but, but like, and, but I, of course, obviously I play my solos and all of the tunes. Um, but written, I wrote like the first, the riffs in the first one and a half minutes or so of Symbiotic and Theory. That's basically the riffs that I wrote for this album. All the other riffs were Muhammad's riffs on that record. So he wrote like 95, 99% of the album. And I wrote my solos, obviously, but I had some help from Muhammad because I was still very young back then. I would used to, I would, I would overplay, you know, I would cluster everything with, with, with fast runs and patches. And sometimes he would say, hey, let a note ring a little bit more here and hit some better rhythmic ideas at times. And I wrote some of the bass lines, actually. So like some of the tapping stuff that the bass is doing in Step Wound, I actually wrote that. And awesome. some of the fills. So that, that's what some, a lot of people don't know, but some of these bass ideas are actually mine on the record. Yeah. Very cool. Very cool. So the so solos, do you did you pretty much because there's pretty much like battle solos in every song, right? You guys yeah, going back and almost. forth. Like yeah, it's like almost. so on, on seven and the title track only I play solo. And on Ignominos and Pale and Diminished to be only Mohammed plays solo. Okay. And all the other ones we both have leads and the trade-offs and things like that. There's a battle section in like uh, only Ash Remains. Definitely. It's like two two and uh yeah, so there's there's trade-offs basically on on all of the other ones. And there's a lot of questions too. I know that me and Casey probably have about the recording because the recording mm -hmm. to us is like one of our favorite recordings and mm -hmm. just sounds so. I mean, it's probably 
I'm not sure exactly. Would you guys use Ingle amps or something? Right. Yes, it was Ingle amps, and we used. Um, but there was no reamping back then, right? So we really. Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing was, uh, we didn't want to pay studio time. I mean, the advance money wasn't wasn't crazy, a crazy summer or anything like that. So we went to the uh, the basement of a school in Baden Baden, the place of Mohammed lived, and he kind of rendered the basement and, and rebuilt this into a, like a little bit of a studio, right? But so we had like the cabinet set up, mm -hmm. and. And we microphoned them, and the reverb that you hear on the lead is actually the actual reverb from the angle amp from the tube bracket uh, that we I don't remember it was named tube bracket 860, I think. This is the, the amp that you hear in both of the Necrophages album. And uh, yeah, so the reverb that you hear wasn't added later on in the leads, it was really the actual reverb from the amp. And we had the, the microphone set up, and man, it was a it was in the basement of a school and it was wet and dark and was really not comfortable. That's why we called this, what was it called? Depths of torment or something like that, because it was really like <laughs> nightmarish to, to, to be there and, and record the guitars and it was cold and not nice at all. And it was shitty weather. I remember it was raining all the time. And uh, Crazy. So we were doing that and we had the amp set up in the control room, which was the control room, right? Yeah. And, um, <laughs> And yeah, so it wasn't like nowadays we would just record the eye signals and then re-amp. So you really had to dial in the tone and be like, hey, is that the tone you want the album? Yeah, and, and Mohamed was really good with it. He had really good ears. And one day his sister came to visit with, with her little daughter who was like two or three years old and she was just learning to walk. And she went to the amps. Oh, what's that? And, and almost started to <laughs> the knobs, you know, and Mohamed went, I don't know. Uh, <laughs> so but, well, while we were already like in the middle of the recording project. Party fell. Oh, no. <laughs> a couple of the tracks. So yeah, so this was the angle tube bracket 860, and I think I don't remember what cabinets those were, but I think it was, was an angle cabinet as well, uh, a microphone like really the old school way. Do you guys yeah, take they, pictures of your your settings in case some shit like that happens? No, but it would be a good idea, I think. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, because I mean, then you make an album and you don't even remember how to. I mean, even when, when even nowadays when I make a record and let's say Hannes is reamping the stuff in his studio. And then later, I'm like, man, that was a really good guitar tone. How did we do that? And of course, no one thought about like taking a photo of the setting. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I guess. <laughs> do you still stick by like um on the road and stuff? Are you um purely using tube amps or yeah, using yeah, well, in Obscura, we still like on the American run that we just finished, we're still using our our angle heads, like a, a preamp and a power amp, actually. But I don't know, it's, it's, it's really heavy stuff. It's logistically difficult, you know. I mean, it sounds a little bit better, but live, I mean, sometimes you're happy if you can hear the guitar at all. And I, I just think the camper stuff is more convenient. I mean, in my studio, I record with an XFX, which I use as interface, and I record to the eye signal, and then obviously reamp this to real amps on the, on the New Obscura album, on the last Eternity's end record, on the other albums, that's, that's what we do. Um, but for recording at home, it's just super convenient, right? Because I can record with my headphones at three in the morning and stuff like that. We couldn't do that back in the day. Um, yeah. And for life, for convenience reasons, I think that the camper stuff really, really sounds good. And you never have any problems. You can take it on the plane easily, you know, in your hand luggage and stuff like that. And this is where I'm just more like pragmatic with that kind yeah. of stuff. You know, I'm not, not much of a purist when it comes to that. Of course, in the studio nowadays, with reamping, it's perfect. I mean, you can take all the time in the world to dial in the guitar tones that you want. You can try different amp models and stuff like that. But back then, when we did every time, it was like we have to figure out the sound before. Tell if we can live with that, if we're happy with that, and then that's going to be the sound on the album, right? That's basically what it was back then. Jeez, man. Well, he did a good job <laughs> dialing that in. That's still yeah, like, it, it, it took uh, long enough. <laughs> yeah, yeah, it cuts through everything. So everything's just like perfect volume. It's yeah. a little um 
Um, we've talked to recording engineers about it. It's a little quieter, right? It's yeah, like yeah lower it's, it's, on purpose, it's on purpose, not mastered very loud. So, okay. so the, but the thing is, you can listen to this in the car, on the highway, and you can turn it up and still hear all the, the little details. Mm -hmm. you know, something mm -hmm. when it mm -hmm. takes something like, I don't know, like a Timo Borgia record, like, I mean, I like those, like that's Kalamageddon and stuff like that. It really blows you away when you hear it, but when you turn it up more than like the, some of the details, sometimes you get a little bit lost. It's a decision you have to sure. make. You know? But back then it was like it was on purpose that it was mastered a little bit more quiet. Mm -hmm. um, but but it makes uh, sense actually. So you can get more like life out of it if you turn it up. It kind yeah, of takes a different exactly. life of its own. I don't. I'm not sure if I. I mean, I didn't have much say in the entire production process back then. I don't know if I if I would do this in any of my own albums to that extent. But but yeah, I think it was the right decision. Obviously, when people like it, so definitely. Yeah. So you yeah. did epitaph and stuff like that. So did you play shows after that with Necro, yes. or what did you yes. do? I mean, we did we did a couple of weekend shows first in two thousand five. We played lots of summer festivals, and then I did a European tour with them. The first one, it was in uh, January two thousand six. It was a tour at Bolt Throw were headlining, then Eleven Creation, Night Rage, and And I also played in Night Rage on that tour for the last two weeks of the tour. Oh, Night Rage! Is that the singer of uh, At the Gates? Yeah, but not on the tour. On the first two albums, it was a singer of At The Gates, but it was someone okay. else. But the guitar player was actually Gus Chi, and he did the first three weeks oh, wow. of the tour. And then he left on the last two weeks because he was doing a new Firewind record, and I was filling in for him um, in, in Night Rage. But this was the only tour I've ever done with Necrophagist, and I left right after this tour. Okay. And then from there, what did you like? What was your next move after that musically? Well, well, first time I wanted to finish my university studies, you know, kind mm -hmm. of wanted to get my degree done. What were you studying? I was studying facility management, super boring. <laughs> but <laughs> that's what I did. I never really worked in that profession, but um, only for a year or so. But like, I was like, I want to be, I want to finish this now. And I didn't really have a band. And for a while, I was only playing as a hobby. <laughs> and then I joined this uh, German band called Majesty, which is like a, they call it like a German man of war, like the complete opposite <laughs> of microphages. And it was a little bit, when, when I did that, I think it was a, one of my friends said it was the kick in the nuts for the death metal underground. <laughs> It was very cheesy, but I had a lot of fun when, when I played with those guys. I played some really big shows with them. They were opening for Manowar two times at the Magic Circle Festival and played in front of like 22,000 people. It was super easy music where I just could play some shreddy solos and the rest was just power chords and very simple songs. But it was was, was actually a really good time. And that was around that time when, when I joined Obscura, actually. And then we got signed to Relapse and then... And then how did you uh, run into those guys? How, how did that uh, all come well, about? Well, there was the, um, the old guitar player of Square, Marcus Lem. She was a friend of who I knew through Mohammed because Mohammed was using these BZ Rich guitars. And I think Marcus worked with BZ Rich or something. I don't remember how that worked, but that's how I knew him. And he knew the suffocation guys well. And then one day he called me. It was in the August of 2006 in Obscura when he was in the band. They were touring with suffocation. And Terence Hobbs couldn't come to Europe because something had happened to his passport. And they were going as a four piece. And then and then Marcos was like, I need a guitar player to fill in for this tour. And I was like, man, going to play for Suffocation would be awesome, right? But Suffocation songs are super difficult. And it was because, mm -hmm. I mean, they've got 25 riffs per song. It's all chromatic, nothing ever repeats, you know, and it's super hard to play. I'm like, how much time do I have? And he's like, yeah, two days. And I said, there's no way yeah. I'm going to do it in two days. Uh. <laughs> I'm not that good. And he's like, yeah, give it a try. So I went there. I did not end up doing this because I was chanting with the other guitar player guy. And, and he was cool. But I said, man, it's, um, if you play alone, it sounds better than if I come in after playing the stuff for two days and mess it up. You know, it's like it's, it, it just it's almost like just realistic. It's not going but on that tour, I met uh, I met um, Stefan because that Obscura in the old lineup they were opening for suffocation. It was only like a ten day tour in Europe with some summer festivals, and they were filling in the 
days in between. And that's how, how I met Stefan. And Stefan already asked me in two, early 2007 if I wanted to join Obscura, but I didn't want to back then. I kind of uh, was doing my studies and, and didn't really feel like doing it. But then later in the end of winter, then Jeroen and Hannes had joined. And then I was like, damn. And then he wrote me again. I was like, yeah, okay, top I left. You want to join now? I was like, yeah, now it, now it sounds like a good idea. You know, and this is when I when I joined them, I think December 2007 or January 2008 or something like that. But uh, Hannes and Jeroen were already in the band at that point. Nice. Okay. So that was the uh, first album was, was it Cosmo Genesis? Cosmo Genesis, yes. We recorded okay, this okay. in 2008. was then okay. released in 2009. Then we started touring right when this album came out. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, yeah. No, I saw you guys hit, hit the States. I forget who I saw you guys with, but yeah. Well, first just... tour was, you know, and for this album, we toured the States once with Cannibal Corpse. That's what um, I saw. After that was Black Dahlia Murder one year later in, in, in 2010. Yeah. I think I saw both of those. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. Man, yeah, just seeing, I mean... I was, you're like one of those guys. I mean, now that like I'm talking to you and stuff, you're super chill, but you're, I see, would see you walking around. I'm like, I can't, I'm not going to talk to him. I'm too, I can't, <laughs> I can't. Cause like he played on like the, you know, Epitaph and, you know, he's not in Obscura. I know, I know, I know. Just back then, I was like, well, you know, it's like um, the first time when actually it might have been the same show. It was, or it was, might be an earlier Cannibal show. And I saw uh, uh, just Jack Owen from Cannibal just like, mm -hmm. like right in front of me, like almost wanting to talk to me. And I was like, I don't know what to say. I can't. I can't do this. <laughs> you know what I mean? It's kind of old. Yeah, I'm always worried. I'm always worried that I that like a musician I like and I talk to them and they turn out to be a dick or something and then yeah, no, definitely it will destroy everything for me. So I must prefer not mm -hmm. to. Unless, but unless most it's of like them are actually cool most of the time. So I always yeah. joke around like unless it's Ingve Momsi and you kind of want Ingve to be a dick though. That's yeah, like, we're like disappointed <laughs> if he's too nice. <laughs> and if he's all nice, like what the hell? What happened yeah. to you? You're supposed exactly. to be an asshole. Yeah. <laughs> So it's awesome. so you did that for a while. So you did uh how so have you did you take off from Obscure ever or did you come back or what was yeah, you yeah, always I was with the band for six years? I left in 2014 and rejoined in 2020. Yeah. What did you do in, in that in that time? Well, I have my, my own band, Eternity's End, which I started. We we just released our third album. This band is also still going. So I was really wanted to focus on my own stuff for a while, get it started. And I did Alkaloid with my Friend Hannah Alkaloid Attorney's End is almost the same band with a different singer almost. <laughs> but like okay. um uh so so I did those things. I did um no, I didn't do a solo record. Yeah, I did a third solo record short before I rejoined Obscura, actually. So I did like in the time when I was not in Obscura, I did two Eternity's End records, two Alkaloid records, and uh one solo record, and I rejoined Paradox the same time when I rejoined Obscura, almost at the same time, a little bit earlier, actually. Um, so I did those things, and I wanted, and I did a couple of session tours with like uh, some power metal bands in, in 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 Europe, but not so difficult to play stuff, you know, a little bit more chill stuff because I have this hand conditions. So I wanted to take the time to learn how to deal with that instead of doing two hundred shows a year, which which Oscar were doing at that point, one hundred fifty shows a year. But What's wrong with your hand? I have I have a condition uh, called focal dystonia. It's a it's a neurologic condition where when my index finger puts pressure on the string, then the brain misfires and the middle finger curls back into the hand. And this started in around 2009. I got diagnosed in 2011. And I had to learn how to relearn my technique and compensate wow. and do some therapy classes and, on how to deal with the right? conditions, stressful situations and what you can do to, to improve it and all of that, you know. And I tried all kinds of therapies with Botox injections and all of that, which actually works. But um, so it took me a couple of years, you know, where I was like, I just had to take some time off of, of the busy tourist schedule right now. Is, 
did yeah. you develop that from your guitar playing? Yeah, I developed that from over practicing. I mean, they don't really know yet why some people get that. They say like one percent of professional musicians get that, and especially in Texas, wow. I meet a lot of people who have it. And uh, it it has to do with like intense practicing. You don't really get that when you play only power chords. It's definitely do like intense practicing. Maybe you have some wrong practice habits. Maybe you have a genetic predisposition. They really don't know much about it yet. You know, they're still like they're still like. Um, uh, uh, like 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 searching you know and, and and doing studies a lot with that like the mm -hmm. first person to have to known but the person back then didn't know that he had it was uh schumann the composer because like a doctor i go to he diagnosed him post-mortem like from the letter exchange that this guy had with his mother and he that this is all the symptoms that someone with vocal dystonia had you know and some famous musicians keith emerson had it uh and there's a couple of people who have it uh, mm -hmm. like in, in the tactic scene, there's actually a couple because it's like you set a very high standard and then people over practice in a very short time, and then your brain just goes into defense mode and says, Ah, no, I actually don't want to do that. So, the, then, how does that, how does that glove, how does the glove that you wear stop it? Like, how does yeah, it, well, how it does doesn't it... stop it, but it, it helps to to reduce the symptoms a lot because the the the, the perception, the sensory perception from the that the finger gives to the brain is changed because the texture is different. So, when I have this on my hand, then the my finger still curls, but not as much as it would without the glove. And so I can play a lot better when I'm wearing the glove because it tricks the brain because it gives a different sensory feedback from the from the point where you touch the string, basically. Uh, interesting. Okay. And so is it is it mainly in the in musicians? Like, is that really? Yeah, mainly. But there's also like people in sports. Ever there was like a a, a world champion from China in table tennis. Mm. He had. Mm. Uh, he had like ping pong, I think, what what they call it. And he had like perfect, uh, perfect technique with the handle. Mm -hmm. But as soon as he saw the ball, it triggered something in his brain. And then his hand would do this, and he couldn't hold the the handle anymore. And then he, he had to stop doing this. And uh, sure. some some baseball professionals have that. So you can have you can have this outside of music too. Wherever do you do like repetitive movements all of the time, and wow. wrong wrong practice or training techniques. So there's definitely a a danger of that happening. Drummers get it a lot in their feet when they practice like these insane double bass beats, you know, when they practice. I'm seeing in the chat, this actually is a good question right now. Boom. Uh, what do you mean by wrong practice habits? What, wrong practice habits, let's say, you know, I would do things like, I would practice legato passages from a Richie Cotson video or Derek Taylor DVD or something like that, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do this in a relaxed way, you know, I would, I would force myself and practice the same lick for two hours nonstop. Sometimes I would feel pain, my body would give me a feedback, I was like, stop this, and I was like, no, because I played this faster and cleaner yesterday, now it doesn't work anymore, it has to work again, because otherwise, so this kind of very anxious uh, approach. Mm, to like to the me. law of diminishing returns. Yes, and, and, and you know, it, it's, it's much healthier to say, well, okay, it doesn't work so well today, tomorrow is another day, you know, and, and do this thing for 15 minutes, put the guitar down for five minutes, then practice something mm -hmm. else. Maybe get back to it later, but don't do the same repetitive movement for two hours nonstop and then do this every day and every day and over and over again. And this is actually very, very dangerous. You know, it's better, it's mm -hmm. better to give the brain different impulses and practice different things and not do the same thing for too long in a row. It is, yeah. It is yeah. interesting how the brain will, like, you'll, you know, start, yeah. if you work on something over and over again, yes. you start, then it starts in all of a sudden, yeah, like diminishing returns. You start doing yep. good, good, then it starts going down. I down, actually you know, like... met on the, on this tour in, when we played in Deirdre, I met the old drummer of Black Dahlia Mata, what's his name, Zach or something like that. Oh, Zach, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. and, and he has yeah. vocal Estonia, right? Yeah, I think he has it in his place. Oh, wow. And, and, and he said the same thing, so it's the same kind of experience, basically, you know. Uh, so everybody who has it went through the same kind of wrong kind of habits, I think, for a while. Mm. 
And oh. if you overdo that, yeah, this can this can definitely happen. A That's lighter version of that is like being an engineer when you're mixing. If you're sitting in the studio for way too mm. long, you're mm. you might end up not even realizing that you're you're blowing it on your mix because your ears are yeah, all twisted from being in there for so long. And you can't tell it's the same. It's the exact same thing. Mm -hmm. so, so this is really important to listen to your body in that kind of, and listen to your mind in that kind of, uh, these kind of situations. Yeah. What's the glove I, made out of? What's the what's the material of the glove? Because that's one thing I've always noticed to like play with it's that. Fabric, it's like a, it's, it's not it's not plastic. It's like um, I don't know how you how you, how you say this in English. It's uh it's uh it's not nylon. Thing. Uh no no no. It's okay. I, I I would have to look this up. But it, the texture feels like a like a regular glove is just thinner, you know. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I have to look it up. It's called musicians practice glove, and there you can you can actually look what what the texture actually is of that thing. So it, it must be super injuries too. I was gonna say it must be super tight on your hand though, right? If you to like to be able to to not have it that caught in the strings. That's what I that's what I would, what I thought, but honestly, I don't even feel it. And I recorded the last three or four albums I did. I recorded with completely with the glove. Wow! So all the guitars on New Obscure and Tennis End Records and my last solo record, and all the solos in the Paradox and the new album, everything is completely done with the glove. You know. Wow! Well, what cool about live performance? I, I use it live. I use it for every show mm -hmm. live on the on the tour. And it's even I now guess you have to. Thing, yeah, and if I don't, my, my hand feels really weird. And I remember mm -hmm. when this tour played in Chicago, and something was what happened to our bus, and the bus had to go to the service. And I thought before the show that I had forgotten my glove on the bus, and the bus was like 14 miles away. But mm -hmm. then I gladly found one, and one final one, my guitar. I was like, Fuck, I have to play the show without the glove. It's like, it's not going to work. Oh, man. But yeah, but then, then I still had one. So yeah, I don't really want to play without it anymore nowadays. Yeah, yeah, yeah. be safe, dude. Yeah, so if you can still execute everything why wouldn't you you know yeah, i think some some things i even play better than before more obvious there's things i can't play in the same way anymore i have to play them differently now but some things actually work, work better because other areas of my playing improved you know so is there no like sweat hmm. in your hand is it like less was it slightly better to slide with the glove is it yes, like and you don't and you even don't hear the kind of kind of noise even when you switch power cords oh, okay. you don't hear that so much with the glove so that's, that's actually another benefit yeah yeah huh. definitely true awesome man I mean that's yeah that's I, I saw it when I first saw it I was like what his hand is super smooth what's happening yeah, I was like he's got a nice video you know, nice thing is like some some cheap CGI effect or something you know <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that's awesome yeah. so in the timeline so you were pretty much so alkaloid so you said that's pretty much the same people as Eternity's End it, so Eternity's End just dropped an album you just said so we just dropped a new one in, like one week after the Obscura ones on the twenty sixth of November we released a new record yes nice so, man. So, so people yeah, just so order it online. Are all in, in Eternis and, and in Alkaloid. Yeah. So yeah. explain. So it's kind of like a, you said more of a power metal kind of like. It's a power uh, metal thing. It's kind of a power speed metal neoclassical thing. I mean, on the second album, we had Phil Two Gus from First Fragment and Second Guitars. I was even uh, more, was even more tech. There's a microphone from, from Symphony X was on bass on the second record. Oh, um, but it's, it's like, it's power metal, but it's like over the top. Like the new record, people say the new record, Embers of War, I read in some reviews, it sounds like. What necrophages would sound like if we had decided to play power or prog metal instead of death metal back in the day you know it's like that's you know, awesome it has, that, it has that european thing going on with the blind guardian type choirs and stuff and but then it's like really techy guitar riffing um and and very technical solos lots of twin guitar leads like in the razor x and cacophony tradition a little bit of uh, neoclassical elements in there the first two albums are a little bit more symphonic and a new record we kind of stripped it down to being mainly a guitar driven band with only very minimal keyboards here and there 
Um, but we still have the choirs, obviously, and stuff like that. I always want to do something with uh, with clean vocals. We have the singer of Hebria as a Brazilian band. And I was really into their first album, Defying the Rules, which came out in the same year as Epitaph came out. And it was also like a very techy power metal thing, which had like crazy bass solos and tapping stuff and harmonized twin leads going on and very intense drumming, super high-pitched vocals. But then all with like a power metal version of what necrophages were doing basically right definitely and, was, and i'm a classic metal fan power metal fan always have been and so i was really into that so this is what we're doing with with eternity's end but i think you can hear even though we don't on purpose put any tech death elements in there you can especially on the new record basically on all three records you can hear that we have this background because the riffing is more technical and it's faster and it's more busy than what what an average power metal band would do. I mean, nowadays you have a lot more technical power metal bands. We, I kind of call ourselves tech power metal, you know, kind of. Yeah, yeah. That, that kind of totally reminds me of, uh, you know, we're good friends with, you know, Phil from First Fragment stuff. And yeah, and he played on to mention him. That's yeah. what you said, he played on. Yeah, that's, I mean, that totally makes sense. I was going to ask, that was going to be one of my questions, just out of hearing you talk about, you know, going from crazy tech death to, yeah. to then power metal and stuff. That's kind of like how the, the Phil route, like Phil's kind of reminds me a lot of like you guys seem like if you were in the same yeah like, totally town or something you guys would be brothers or something page with that also like in terms of like he's also such a big music freak you know and he collects everything and he wants to know everything and he has all these like old shrapnel albums which he listens to on tape you know which is like, oh, like so cool and he's so so he really he really gets he's, he's he's a real nerd in that aspect like like i am too and also like very open-minded to these different like many different subgenres and then he really explores them you know goes into the underground and and finds the stuff that not everybody knows and uh, yep. um so so we're really vibing in in that regard it's only that with the journeys and like we were an international lineup from from three different continents and, and this is just mm -hmm. to, to get a band going like that and then i was like you know i want to play live shows and things like that and i want to have this whole band based in europe definitely so now since our singer moved to portugal the rest of the band were all based in germany and we live very close together and we only fly Yuri the singer in and now we can operate like a real band whereas before it was only project level and I just thought you know there's so much work that you put in there so much effort and you kind of want to and it, it kind of always failed because it was this international thing because no you, it's impossible to to finance that when you want to play a live show you know it's just not possible exactly so, yeah, we gotta we gotta start a GoFundMe to get you and uh you and Phil living in the same city together. It seems right, like right, right, right. I mean, the amount of music. You guys are I, I really love Phil. He's 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 an amazing guy. One of my best friends. But like, sometimes I think we, we both have a bit of an ego, you know, when it comes to the music <laughs> stuff. So yeah, I, yeah. I think sometimes it's better to just be friends and not make music together and more appreciate what the other person is doing. You know? Yeah. Okay. That makes that's sense. That makes yeah. sense. Yeah. That's a that's a very mature way of looking at it. You know, yeah. Like, respectful you know, thing. Because yeah. 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 I, yeah. I mean, everybody has some level of ego, and every now and then the ego can't be controlled in certain situations, you know. So, yeah, so, yeah to keep yeah. just keep it. Uh, I don't know. What am I? Yeah, well, the amount of ideas like, that are coming out of your brains, like yeah, both when, your when brains we, together. When we were writing the third eternity end record, it was like, okay, it's better if you do your thing, and I appreciate it, and I do my thing, and you appreciate it, and you know, otherwise, mm -hmm. you know, well, sometimes a compromise is not always the best thing to do, you know. Sometimes. yeah well it's two strong musical visions you yeah. know yeah exactly. and sometimes you know it's yeah. you can't always like just perfectly mesh together like you yeah. know it's like yeah, yeah. totally I mean, it's like, yeah. such a sensitive issue in our music world. I mean, it, it, oh, yeah. yeah on the music you know but of course when you're a musician and you dedicate your life to that and then you attach your a lot of your personality into that so it becomes a very 
sensitive thing and then we sometimes react like when someone says i wouldn't do it like that ah, but i want to do it like that you know and then I right, do it. yeah exactly and, it's one of those things too it's like uh you know people we've talked about it or asked people about it before like what's your dream lineup of what you know like what would you want like for guitars and and bass yeah. like but in reality if they all got together it probably wouldn't work out you know it's like that's the it's thing like, right that, that's exactly yeah. the thing so sometimes it's better to remain a fan of something that someone is definitely doing. i mean i love the new first fragment record i absolutely love it and i'm like man i really this is really exactly what i want to hear uh, so I'm, I'm really 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 into that um but it's just like yeah, I, I better remain friends, and we we listen to each other's music. Yeah, have you heard definitely. of Have you heard of Ophidian I from from Iceland? Have yeah. you heard that record? You should check no, that out, it. dude. Yeah, yeah. Desolate by Ophidian I, dude. Maybe it's... I've heard the name, but I've, I've never I, I never heard the music. Yeah, they they paste a little of that not paste, but they mix that neoclassical vibe with brutal death metal. Nice. It it's not. Like it, that I well, I mean, it's tech too, but it's tech as shit. But I'm saying they got like. They can get brutal as shit on that album, dude. I think you'd like it a lot. Like, like Daniel has been on the podcast a couple of times. He's the main lead guitarist, and also Simon's the other lead. And uh, they put a lot of like, like melody into the solos, and it's it's nice. like sounds like power metal to us, but it's like mm -hmm. no, like to us, it's actually kind of has like Eurovision influence and all right. this like different melodies. Right. And it sounds, I mean, to me, yeah. like I've really quite heard that before. Like it sounds like almost like their style, like Icelandic. Uh -huh. Like, anyways, but. You would like it. It's super fast and super shredding, and yeah, I probably they, like they, it. They, they love you and your shit, and they love Nick and all that stuff. So you can tell when you hear, it, you know. But uh, I'll send you a, a link to that. In yeah, definitely. I'll, I'll definitely yeah. check it out. Like I'll go it. through some questions right now because we're cool. Having yeah. the stopping point. So, did you ever and Marco Miniman ever play? Because you guys are both German, right? Yes, but we never played together now because he okay, played. Okay, okay. He played, he played uh, Necrophages too. I, I first. Yeah, yeah, he played Necrophages, but he played live with them after hannes had left so he played a uh, couple of tours with them i think he did some it just seems like you being one. that stellar musician in germany that you would run into him i don't know it seems like like you know i mean that that's that's one reason why i thought i know you guys didn't play live together but in necrophages yeah. but i was like it made yeah, make sense is, for you guys I probably, to I probably would have if i wouldn't if i wouldn't know hannes but like every almost every band i play or every album maker always yeah work with hannes because he knows my vision and and we've been playing music together for over 20 years now and just works so Definitely. well. Oh yeah. I'm in a different band situation, like now with Obscura, or and I wasn't spawn of possession. I obviously play with other drummers, but but like everything else that I do, I always work with Hannes. And uh, yeah, probably if I if I didn't know a drummer like that who's like lives very close and has his own studio and plays exactly how I want him to play, <laughs> then, yeah, then probably exactly. would have run into into. But but yeah, I've, I've not really been part of a lot of these kind of like um, projects, you know, with like these. Like world class musicians, and I, I, I don't think I'm, I don't think I'm in the in the same league like like someone like that. Like I, I mean, you are, but whatever. But uh, <laughs> um, so um, like I, I a little bit intimidated also. But I mean, obviously, I like challenges and things like that. But I've never been in a situation where I, where I played with that guy. Yeah, challenges are fun, but sometimes it seems like it could take a little bit of the fun out if it's like they're too yeah. overly yeah. like, oh my god, that you know, yeah. like I don't want to play with these people. But yeah. yeah. Uh, sometimes can take the wind out of the sail but um here's another one for you is uh what solo are you most proud of or favorite to play live oh uh um, i mean I, I, my, my favorite solos are actually on the on the new obscura album mm -hmm. um but i mean i like the one in in, in when stars collide 
a lot the, the ending solo because it's kind of like made for life you know in the way the way it's built up and this is always fun to do live and i like some of the um but i think i think my favorite solo to play live is the one in Septuagint from 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 the omnivium record from the first song because it has it kind of combines this neoclassical thing and it's a couple of ingwer licks there and some like iris's like tapping licks but then also it's like some angus young type of like rock soloing and some painkillerish dive bombs and this one is always super fun life because it's not super difficult and it works almost every time and just has a lot of like i like i like the vibe of that one even though it's not so super special it's not i've, I've done more virtuoso things than that one but but that's Definitely. one that's, that's life always a lot of fun when it comes i'm always looking forward to that one kind of piggybacking off the last one too like what's your which one of the new i mean obviously not new but just attorneys and play live are you excited about uh, we just talked about life, but mostly the songs from the new record i mean i think they have the strongest choruses like i, I think the song I'm, I'm looking forward to play the most is call of the valkyries okay kind of, it's, it's very technical but it's like it's kind of like a in one review it's like a it's like if uh if, if necrophages recorded a manowar song or something like that it's like super techy ribbing and some really cool changes and stuff like that it's super hard to play but I'm, I'm if we play live i'm looking forward to playing that one the most i guess or, or dread not the opening track because there's a lot of drive and power yeah yeah we really like stuff like that how's that I mean are you guys gonna hit the road or what's up with the turn well, like, we were supposed to do a tour in mexico but we don't uh, it was supposed to happen in april it would have opened for rata blanca which is a big band but then the uh promoter decided that he's not going to bring any european bands because of the flight tickets even though we already had a contract and everything and then so it didn't work out and it was mm. very disappointing mm -hmm. But yeah, we're still trying to to get something going. If it's not working for this record, then maybe for the next one. But we're not Definitely. forcing it. I want to, I want to, but it's not like uh, not like the end of the world. It doesn't happen right now. But I I definitely want to be live at one point. Also, COVID kind of made a bit of a because we're doing very well in Japan, and I'm pretty sure we would have played Japan by now if there wasn't COVID. Yeah, yeah. So I hope that with the next album cycle, at least. I'm sure, something like I'm that sure Japan would love that. Would love that style too. That's like like. That's yeah, the Japanese people really like that stuff. This is the country we're doing really the best. I think. Yeah. Definitely. Um, um, I got a question uh, for myself. I just wanted to see how your experience was. Like, this tell us the story about getting Ron to do a solo. Ron Jarzenbeck on uh, Cosmogenesis. Oh well, this Did was we... actually this this was actually very easy because yeah, Ron. When he played in Pestons, he, he knew all those guys in Watchtower and Cynic and stuff. You know, we were big Ron Charles and big fans. And there was like this one solo in the title track, Cosmogenesis. And I recorded the solos for the album, and this one just didn't sound good. And everybody was like, hey, Chris, uh, can you redo that? And I was like, I don't know what to play there. Yeah. And I did a couple of words, and everybody was like, mm, I think nowadays I could do better, but back then I, I failed with this one. <laughs> and then uh, I just got a guest soloist, right? And then Yeruno mentioned that he knew Ron. And then the cool thing was that happened after that was that um, I, then I met Ron at the San Antonio show when we were on the Black Dahlia murder tour. And then we started talking. I was always a big, a, a, a big Watchtower fan because because my cousin in 1994 was a bass player. He was a professional bass player from Italy. He played in like some power metal band back then. And he was like, this is my favorite band in the world. And uh, yeah. I checked him out. And back then yeah. it was over my head. And only when I got older, I started to get into them more. And a little of the Vigitanity obviously was a big fan of them. But anyway, so I was always a big fan of Ron. And then we were talking, and then I was asking him about this um, circle of twelve tones thing. And we we're talking a little bit, and then a couple of months later, Watchtower playing in Germany in a town close to where I live. And then I hung out with Ron the next day in Würzburg, and we were talking about it. And then I was like, "Man, I really would like to know how this circle of twelve tones thing works." And he was like, "Well, I can show you. So let's just write a song together." So we went to an Italian restaurant, and I remember on the napkins he wrote out the the, the tonal systems that we were thinking of. 
And then wow. this is how this terrestrial exile project, which is like a band that has only one song, but this is how, how that thing was born, you know, out of that. It was basically Ron teaching me how to write in Circle of Birth Town. Over, over, yeah. over pasta. That's what yeah. we got. That's what the, pasta, one of the questions yeah. was for us. Tell us about writing that. Terrestrial yeah. exile. So, yeah, I, I remember this that. This is basically terrestrial That was sick when that came out. I remember that was really good. Yeah. yeah. I mean, I kind of wish I could redo my guitar part. I don't like my guitar tone on that much and how I played, but I like the riffs and the, the way this thing came together. So it's, it's a shame it, it didn't turn out being more, but yeah, it's so much work and there's so little coming back and everybody was so busy we, we didn't continue this. Definitely, definitely. Um, so um, I have one more question we'll throw in there. So whoops, here ever play? I don't want to say it because oh, we did, we did, we did a couple of times, and okay, uh, it never worked so well. So probably not. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> and also, yeah. I mean, the song was completely written by Hannes, and Hannes is not in the band at this point, so I don't. Okay. Think he's play it. But I like the song. It's a, it's a really cool song, but it's super hard to play live. Yeah. Definitely, definitely. So um, as of right now, it's pretty much just Eternity's End and Obscura for you, right? No, I'm still doing Alkaloid, so we're doing a new Alkaloid okay. right now. Um, oh, basically, nice. the only thing is missing a couple of vocals, and I have to finish my solos, which I'm doing right now. So this will be finished in the summer. I don't know if it, if it comes out in the fall or next year, because the labels, they always take a long time. And I also play in um, Paradox, a thrash band from Germany. And that was been one of my favorite bands, an old cool. thrash metal band. The, the first two albums were in the 80s. Um, and I, I played with them on the album Tales of the Weird in 2012, and I play on the new one, Heresy 2. And uh, I only do like I only write solos in that band, and Charlie writes all the songs. But he writes really, really cool progressions for me to play over in really long solo sections. And I think um, on the new Paradox album, Jesus, that one has some of the best solos that I ever recorded. But there's a band where I can be more like, okay, I just focus on my lead guitar. It's not like in Obscura or Eternity. I'm really involved in the songwriting. This is more something where I can just really be the guitar player, um, which is a really cool thing too and it's a it's a cool thing for me because i've always been a fan of the band and um so i play with them too. obviously i do my solo project but i don't really play live with that much um so i don't know if maybe i do a new solo ep at one point but but right now i have too many other things to focus on so this is not something that's going to happen so you, you have played live with your solo project though You've... i have i have um I, I did one live show with really like with hannes and drums and linos on bass and tom who played on the acrasis album of score he played the second guitar on that live show and i did a couple of clinics where I played alone with backing tracks, but I haven't, uh, I haven't played more with them, uh, with that stuff than, than uh, only that one time actually. Here's, here's a good tour idea: would be a uh, Hannes's band and your band and Christian. Yeah, the same, the same thing. Logistically cool because we could like save money. Yeah. <laughs> yep. Yeah. Yep. We've been thinking about these things, but man, we've been so bad with the organizing and the business side of things that why these things they're always ideas that get talked about and never happen. So yeah. <laughs> But then we always yeah, just make a new record awesome. or something like that. Have you ever explored any kind of styles of music completely outside of metal or? or yeah, I mean, like I, I like it. I do some fusion tunes here and there on my solo records. Okay. They're mm -hmm. still kind of in the hard rock realm, you know. But I did this song, Rubber Duck, with my friend Danny, which is more like a Richie Cotton, Greg Howe kind of rock fusion thing. And I have a couple of tunes in that style on my solo records. Um, obviously, I studied classical music on my own. I, I had to play jazz standards when I was in. Uh, I do the Munich Guitar Institute, but I'm not really good in any of those styles. I just take this influence and put it to my metal stuff. So I'm mainly a, a metal guy for, for the majority of the time. But yeah, I, 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 I do fusion things here and there from time to time. Maybe I'd, I would like to do a complete EP or album in that style at one point. Mm -hmm. But i um, not sure if this is going to happen anytime soon because it's just a time. It's just a time question. But I kind of like 
playing all different kind of grooves that are not just blast beats and double bass and skank beats the entire time and more a little bit like back you know and a little bit like different chord progressions because there's only so many kind of progressions that you can do in the tech gather power metal world and um, this allows me to play different things so that's why i really want to write more in that style if i get the time yeah definitely i mean um, well, go for sorry it. i was just gonna say uh talk about your um your writing techniques like talk mm -hmm. about how what your writing process is like yeah during so the I, don't week a, I, I don't have a complete formula or blueprint where i would say this works all the time and every time but obviously there's a couple of techniques and approaches that i do that that can help me and obviously now a lot of theory and sometimes things are based on that so usually a song starts with one initial idea that could be just a, a cool riff that i come up with by jamming with the guitar just while watching tv or something sometimes an idea for a song like the song all the magnitudes happened like that that i was giving a guitar lesson at a music school and i was teaching about like secondary dominance and how to write riffs based on chord progressions and then the student was like can you give me a real-time example so i came up with like these two chords which are connected and it was became four chords and i was like let's take these four chords and make a riff and then i was like man this riff sounds really cool this has potential so then i went home and in the next two days just finished writing a song but there's always like one initial spark that can happen from whatever mm -hmm. and but then usually what happens is what i do is i'm brainstorming so i usually have in my in my mind a, a certain pacing that i want to have for a song uh and then i brainstorm limited to that kind of pacing and then if i find something that i like then i limit it to maybe to the key but then i know different techniques to expand on that but then i'm really brainstorming i have like files where i just record the ideas or write them down and then i start out all the bad ones which is usually 90 percent but the 10 percent that remain they're usually worth something and this is where mm -hmm. i then build on you know and then of course i know how how, how chord progressions work how, how modulations work and things like that i know rhythm techniques based on writing so uh, writing techniques based on rhythm sorry um so so I, I use many of these techniques to to find new ideas then but basically it's still brainstorming using my theory knowledge and then in the end recycling all the bad ideas and then keeping the ones that are good but not you always have to set one limiting factor right which could be the bpm which could be the key and then obviously i would do key changes in solo sections or sometimes songs are also based on key changes but but like most of the time you kind of have to sometimes i would think for example when i did bane of the black sword the new eternity's end record i was like i kind of want to do something that has a children of bottomish like fast 16th not triplet bass drum thing going on and then and then i think okay this is the tempo where i can do that what are the other beats i can do in that kind of pacing in that kind of bpm how could those changes work nicely and then i brainstorm riffs and then i know key modulation techniques and then i experiment and then there's a lot of trial and error and it's a very painful process usually right because it doesn't it's not fun to work on something when you still think like 90 percent of it still sucks and you don't know if it's ever going to get any better but this is just a thing you just have to do it and i always tell my students you know when you want to become a good songwriter you have to get the practice hours on the clock just as well as you have with your technique you just have to write you just right. have to practice writing mm -hmm. and you also have to write the bad stuff hopefully not release it but get it out of your system <laughs> get it out of the way in order right. to get yeah. good stuff you know and yep. um and, and you need the same amount of time on the clock it's not like people think they practice scales and apaches all day and it's all do and then suddenly they write a killer record that's not that's not how it works you really yeah. have to practice that you really have to do it. you have to get through the pain of like not being able to come up with something cool and failing at that and you have to go through all of that frustration to, mm -hmm. to 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 get better with it but yeah usually i'm brainstorming on a certain bpm or pacing that i want for, for a certain song and usually the, the initial idea can come from anything 
So like like I said, with all the magnitudes, it happened while I was giving a guitar lesson. Sometimes it could happen that I watch a movie and I hear a chord progression that I really like. I'm like, this is actually cool. Mm -hmm. Or I listen to to a song by some other band, like hmm, something in that kind of place would be cool, but not exactly like they did it, but something different. Then I add my outside influences to that. Um, but this is a really a really deep subject. So I'm yeah. really about at cool. one point doing like some kind of instructional material where I just yeah, well, you're talking about different songs, you know. You're talking about the theory stuff, and we had uh, caught, Scott caught, Scott Carstairs from Fallujah. Yeah, he was my um, former student, actually. Yeah, dude, and he was like, dude, he was like Christian's great teacher, and like taught. Oh. He was like so impressed by how much you knew about like what you were doing and all this theory yeah. stuff, and oh. he was like, yeah, it kind of explaining he's doing some flat nine, you know, dominant flat nine thing or arpeggio or whatever, you know, some right, kind of right, like. Right. You knew it, and that's really interesting, dude. And so, yeah, I, I remember like one of the first things we did when he took lessons with me was we went through Universal Momentum and kind of the kind of the idea like, again. Usually, a song starts with like one initial idea. And I, I remember when I, I wrote Universal Momentum when I was still in Necrophages, this was in 2005, mm -hmm. and I was at university, which was not music related. And I and we were, uh, I was having a class on some like environment protection rights kind of thing and it was super boring oh, stuff and the professor was talking about all these laws and all these paragraphs and i was like come on dude and it was duty of attendance and i couldn't go and i was and then i was thinking and i was thinking about theory in my head i'm thinking oh man if i take a minor key and i have like the dominant chord and i replace it with the symmetrical diminished then this one can be dominant to three other keys as well to four keys in total so I, mean, I could use the chord to modulate to the different ones and then i was thinking in my head about a chord progression and then I walked home, and while I was walking home, I was thinking about that. And then I took the guitar, one of these progressions, really cool. And then I came up with yeah. the main riff in Universal Momentum. And then from there, I wrote the whole song basically in two days. Because so once sick. the initial idea is there, and I was like, okay, that's the BBM of the song. This is like a blast riff. What kind of other beats work on the tempo? What kind of riffs do I want? And then I brainstorm. And sometimes it can go really, really fast. And sometimes it's like, sometimes it takes me a very long time to finish a song. Sometimes, you know, I just can't find the connecting. Mm -hmm. And yeah. something. In the files for six months eight months but sometimes and this happened in the this happened in 2019 so i wrote the songs that became solaris and neuromancer and a new obscure record in the in the fall of 2019 and then there was like uh it was around between christmas and new year i remember that i just couldn't stop like it was really like the ideas they were just coming mm -hmm. and it was like i just i have to finish these ideas and, I, and then i stopped eating and i stopped sleeping and i I look like a zombie, right? And I just put Godzilla movies and I sit with my laptop on my guitar. <laughs> and, my and then I wrote like four or five songs, three of which ended up on the new Eternity's End record, one of which became the bonus track, and one which we didn't use, but probably use on next record. And I, I just couldn't stop, and the ideas were just coming. And sometimes nothing happens for, for many, many months. So it's, it's really weird sometimes where this comes from. You know, I talk about this yeah. with a friend of mine who writes poems, and yeah. I'm, I'm a very pragmatic person, very realistic with a lot of things, but sometimes this really feels like. When you're in that sound, like you're just being a medium and the ideas are just something. Exactly, dude. Oh, I literally was waiting for my way to step in and literally say, dude, it's like we're just antennas and it yep. it, it and it depends on, you know, how your clarity of how well you're gonna be able to receive yep. the you know, whatever's coming from the muse. But you if you can yep. open yourself to it and yep. find the clarity, because life can yep. murky the waters like a you know. The thing, just right? I mean, there's, cloud there's, everything. Yeah, there's a couple of ways to <laughs> to receive that openness, you know. But it's like when you don't have that, it's it's really hard, you know. To, mm -hmm. to but in to those moments where you did have just 
all of that that you had to pour out in that small yeah. amount of time that yeah. was one of your moments where you were yeah. extra open as an yes. antenna you know exactly and this is all, yeah exactly and this is also the these are also the moments where i'm most happy with what i'm doing you know as a musician like some some people say what's what makes you most happy is it the studio time is it life is it the touring and all the partying and all of that and for me it's really like when i'm in that zone and the ideas are coming and i notice this is just going by itself and it turns out ending ending up being something good and i was like wow i created something that didn't exist before and then i really get this kind of like almost uh childish kind of excitement you know where i'm mm -hmm, like I'm mm -hmm. really really happy about that and then i'm really i don't think about anything else and as long as i'm doing this as long as i'm producing or creating this is when I'm, I'm really happy and all the process that comes afterwards when it's finished and it's released and then okay obviously i'm happy when people like it and i get the positive feedback from that but at that point it's already old and wild. as long as i'm not really producing i don't get that same happiness as in that moment when i'm really like in the zone and 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 the stuff is pouring out you know when i'm creating something yeah and yeah it's not like you're having these moments all the time like sometimes they happen and sometimes they don't happen for a long time and then you maybe you have to change something in your life to get to these kind of moments again you know so, I'd like uh, to like to quote Anthony about this same topic. It's like birthing a child, dude. Mm -hmm. Probably, yeah. yeah for, for yeah, it's kind of that because it's your it's your like your mental kind it's of good. property, and you have a very strong relation with these kind of things. It's a, yeah, you know? it's totally well, yeah. It's you, you know, taking the David Lynch approach of saying he says yeah. falling in love with ideas, and I love right. thinking of it like that. Yeah. And right. you, who you fall in love with your child as soon as yeah. it's born, you know. Yeah. Yeah. So and to just loop it back a little bit like you could with the ego as an artist mm -hmm. and and looking at it as a child it is understandable that the creator of that child would be defensive yeah and very protective about the own ideas exactly and and that's nothing like that doesn't show anybody's real character that's just yeah, yeah. um falling in love with something yes. that, that that's why you probably get a you know then i could get along with certain people outside of music but when it's about that and then people want to interfere too much that's when it, of course you can always compromise a little bit there's just degrees to it where like not really yeah. willing to accept that, you know and, well uh, yeah. i just want to say to, oh sorry dude oh it's okay either i'll just go real fast i mean basically like i just want i wanted to say when you were talking about like you like kind of just d doubling down on a project and cracking out mm -hmm. and like getting a recording done and all this like yeah. i dude it's like so all i do that in, in a different way and, and like a lot of us all kind of do that when we're doing stuff and i can yeah. just only imagine like how gnarly you you do dude like you like <laughs> you know what i mean like dude yeah. christian's like the ultimate dude he probably just like just murders like just pumps out this insane out you're like yeah but but people don't see me in those moments i'm usually it's like yeah that's what i mean and i'm sitting well, in my underwear you know and, and watching godzilla movies and and uh <laughs> yeah when you uh, emerge I love from that cave, specifically you know. godzilla movies i know, <laughs> I know. That, was, that was the greatest i, know. <laughs> yeah. I loved it dude. i know yeah. i had to bring that back that's right yeah dude that was that was good so i could just see you just you just crawl out of your studio like it's done yeah you know <laughs> like, you know get to sleep and forget to eat and i i Sometimes yeah. I sit recording until like six, seven in the morning and the sun comes out and like, yeah, I should go. I should yeah, go. It's, you know, it's you just, know, like really in the sound, you really don't think about much else. Right. You went to a place. You yeah. went to a place and came back with a souvenir. Yeah. You, you got an artifact and the artifact is, exactly. is um, uh, materialized in this yeah. dimension yeah. with 
the riff and the yeah. song that yeah. comes out it's 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 yeah. wild to think of it Sometimes that way but it's it like, is true I, I listen to something that i recorded and wrote and then like i listen to it a few years later and like wow i really like this this is really good and then i'm like i, I can't even remember you know how i wrote this and yeah you almost go into a blackout it or something. happened you know but it, it did you know at one point and uh, that's that's actually crazy, and it, it really speaks to this kind of idea that sometimes these things seem to come from a different kind of place, mm -hmm. you know. Definitely, whatever it is. Yeah, I had a good conversation this weekend. I was at a barbecue with that band, Ar Archaic. We were about to go mm -hmm. on tour, but we were still having having some barbecue, having a good Those time. Those are always and, um, good conversations. And wow. Nathan, their drummer, is really cool to talk to about practice. We were talking about practice, and like. Nice. Um, he was talking about, you know, he's read a bunch of books on it and from all the famous musicians and stuff like that, you know, War of Art and all, all those things. But um, he was talking about the main thing is we were talking about just working on songs and like jamming songs. He, he doesn't call that. That's not practice to him. That's rehearsal. Like yeah. he's, he's like, that's not practice. That's for, that's he, like was very distinct in saying that he's like, mm -hmm. you're just rehearsing. Like I'll, I'm not practicing or working on my rudiments for you. Do you do like. You know, looking back, going, you know, we mentioned uh, John Petrucci's Rock Discipline, where he he would talk about like how he would do thirty minutes scales, thirty minutes yeah. chords, thirty minutes songwriting, thirty yeah. minutes just fucking doing whatever he wants to do. Is that something that you do for your practice? It's something I always wanted to do, but I think it's it's a personality thing. I'm not mm -hmm. that kind of a disciplined personality like 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 John Petrucci obviously is. You know, and for me. I'm somewhere in between. I'm also not the kind of Eddie Van Halen kind of guy on the partying and playing everything super playful. I'm kind of somewhere in between. And I always help my students work out these schedules, mm -hmm. which are kind of similar to like how John Petrucci did them, even though I try to find them. I try to do them more individualistic to the individual player's specific problems. Definitely. And for me, I mean, I wrote those things down, you know, and I had these schedules and I stuck to them for a while and I could never go through with them because then something would happen that I would have a song idea and then it would excite me too much. And then I would forget about the practicing, you know, and I would work on that until it's finished. And then it's a, it's a, I, I have students that are super hard into technique practice and they're like, man, I have been working on this song and now I forgot to practice my technique and now I suck again. And like, yeah, you, you have to set priorities to what you want. But for me, like the music as a whole, what was always more important. So for me, the guitar is yeah. only the part of the picture and I probably should do more of the disciplined practice technique and go to nowadays it's even i don't even have the time anymore i mean i have my teaching schedule i have all my bands I have my recordings i have my tours i have my my my, my, my interviews the stuff that i have to do it's just so much stuff that i have to do yeah i, I, I practice because I, I practice the stuff i have to practice right I prepare for a tour festival shows of all recordings so i still practice but mm. i don't really have the time anymore to do to like work on these individual things i mean I think you should get a and he must be more busy than I am because he's much more famous and probably has a much more much more stuff going on and he probably manages to do that. So maybe maybe it's really a personality thing. I don't I don't really know. But yeah, um, you you have your building blocks down though of like how good yeah. you I mean you're you've already gone through a lot of the practice and you wear a glove because of the practice. You know what I mean? Like I, I kind I mean? of overdid it to the point where it almost took my ability to play away and now I see exactly. these. Yeah, I think you should get like a like a get out of practice card because right. like, <laughs> I feel <laughs> that it's, it's I, like I really want to make music with that. You know, I'm not really. Into I don't know that. exactly yeah. exactly. I feel yeah. like the concept of you needing more practice is a little bit like far fetched. You know, for well, me, like depends. I mean, I have. I have but how how much gnarlier can you get like i mean it's like explode like you know it's, it's i mean yeah i mean i i, I 
there's certain mm -hmm. things I'm pretty good with, and then there's some things where I'm like, mm, I, every other guitar player I play with can do that better than me, you know. So I, 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 but it's 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 hard for me. I mean, I've done this for so many years, especially when I was younger. And I think mm -hmm. that I'm in your in your formative years, especially in the pubescent years, when people kind of sometimes compensate things with that and attach their whole self worth and ego to to that thing, like the, the guitar technique, and then becomes like almost like a moral obligation to hit the 16th notes at 260 BPM and to do this like every day. And if you lose a day, then you're a bad person, things like that. And when you grow older, you kind of mature a little bit with these things, you know. And you're like, hey, it's just yeah. Music. And and you see want to see the whole thing and, and mostly I want to create obviously I want to go out there and tour and celebrate the music with the with the fans and this is amazing and I love doing that. But the, but creating something is really what 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 excites me the most and um, yeah mm -hmm. probably this is something I mean there's probably also a change that happens you know obviously when you're in your mid twenties you you enjoy doing technique exercises all day and stuff like that and then when you get older you kind of and there's probably also something that happened with my dystonia where I was like. Okay, now I can't be so concerned about playing Paul Gilbert licks anymore. I more focus on my own thing, you know. And then the music as a whole became more important. Maybe that's what made me a better songwriter and producer. I don't know, but but um, that's just something where I I don't really have the disciplined practice schedules, even though I probably should have them. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. Well, that's cool, Definitely. though, man. It's all about that creativity and this creating stuff, man. I love that. Yeah, at least for so, me, I mean, it's always. Everybody yeah. has to know themselves what they want the most, you know, what excites them yeah. the most. To me, that's always been that's always been the thing, and not so, so much does... like competing with other players. If I can do something faster than they, well, you know, I really care about these things. From my experience, mm -hmm. I don't know how, but I feel like if I like, I always have something to work on, like musically. It's like I'm, I'm like excited constantly. It's like, oh, yeah, dude, too. that's the thing. That come home, and like... I want to work on this. Yeah, dude. It's, yeah, it's, it's I mean, so obviously yeah. now it's changed a little bit because now we're back yeah. to this insane touring schedule with just this super long touring run, mm -hmm. and I'm. Um, I enjoy this too, obviously, right? But it's not, mm, I'm not in the same space as I am when I'm actually able to create, you know, and I know. in a way, mm -hmm. the kind of yeah. uh, time was, it was kind of, obviously it's horrible with everything that happened, but for me personally, it was kind of, it was like, okay, now I can really focus on writing and nothing else is really coming along now. That mm -hmm. was kind of a, it, it, it kind of helped that I could really spend a lot of time on writing and, and shaping these things out, you know, on the New Obscure record, the New Eternity's End record. Um, so, so this is when I'm when I'm when I'm in that space that I can really take the time to work on these things. Um, this is really where where I think my my father always says everybody has to find their place in life, you know. And I think this is my place. And uh, yeah, I think so. I like it to promote another one, of course. Yeah. I like going out and. And meeting the people and hanging out with the, with the people and doing stuff like that is a lot. And then getting the positive feedback is a lot of fun. But but my real yeah. place is actually when when I when I'm able to create these kind of things. Well, you've been entertaining the shit out of us or for us or whatever. Just yeah. you've been creating insane yeah. music for us for years, dude. It's like what a, a Christian plays on this. Like what he played? Oh yeah, did he fucking yeah. We haven't God even damn, touched dude. on. Uh, I mean, like when when uh, for, like yeah, exactly what Casey's talking about. Like we haven't even touched on. Because you know, growing up, you know, it was Necrophages, Spawn Obsessions were my, were my two favorite bands. So, like yeah. that was like, yeah. like Spawn Obsession was 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 it for me. That was like, yeah. I mean, Necrophages. Those those two those tickled my tick my technical tickle bone. I don't know. But, By the but, way, Dennis uh, was gonna come on tonight, but he couldn't make it. But he ah, was that's such a shame, man. I haven't. I haven't uh, yeah, I know. We we're gonna yeah. try to sneak I, Dennis I, on. I once played a um, once played a telephone trick on him, but he, I think he doesn't know it was me. <laughs> <Not really. laughs> it's like uh, a friend of I mine. Hear, I want to hear a story. We had this like. Fart app, you know, which was making these weird fart noises, 
on the, on the mobile <laughs> yeah. phone. And yeah, we're like, yeah. hey, let's, let's just call up some people, you know, and call the wife. Some people got really angry. <laughs> and some people just hung up. Like like my boss at my music school, he was just listening and not saying anything and just listening to the parts. <laughs> listening to all like, the parts. <laughs> it was also tennis. And I think tennis doesn't know it was me because I called this as a press number. And and tennis, actually, he was out. He was at some restaurant with, I think, with his wife and some friends. <laughs> and, he was, and, and he was laughing his ass off. And then he, yes. and and he was okay, like, hey, yeah. you gotta check it out. Because yeah, he has the kind of humor. He's that he's that type of guy. So yeah, that's awesome, been, man. Would have been cool. So yeah. you know, if he sees this episode, then he finally knows that it was me. With that yeah, he, yeah, he's he'll, he'll watch it for sure. Yeah. No, so, uh, how did you how did you get in contact with them? Because I mean, obviously, that's like you know, those necrophagist yeah. and and Nick spawn were like the crazy. Right. Technique. I, mean, I was always, yeah. I, I was a big spawn of possession fan, especially after the Templeland record because of all the mm -hmm. like in in two thousand eight or nine. This was all I listened to, you know, because. They had these amazing progressions going on, and it was kind of neoclassical, but not so much like the other mm -hmm. metal bands were doing it. It was a little bit earlier and and darker, and always had these grittier notes and, and some progressions. I just couldn't figure out where this came from, and so I was a big fan of that, mostly for the for the for, the, for these ideas. And then uh, Jonas Prisling, he was writing on the um, SMN News forum, mm. and then he was saying he was doing this new record and. He was getting session guys for the solos and he doesn't know who's going to do it yet and i was like man i'm such a big fan of your band i was like uh can i can i play a solo or two on that on the album and then he listened to some of my stuff and was like hey, can you do all the solos i'm like yeah, obviously i would love to do that because because i'm such a big fan but that's all i did on that record i wrote and recorded my solos basically but that yeah. was a challenge because the things i i played over they were very different than the things i would play over like in let's say an obscure song on on, on my solo stuff or what i do now in kind of end but in, in one of the sessions, so all these riffs which were written from a very different kind of place. And um, so that was a big, big challenge. And I think it came, I came up with things I wouldn't oh, have been with otherwise. So I really, I really liked that record, except for my uh, guitar tone once again, but <laughs> and it's yeah, the story. But, but yeah, I, 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 um, I really, really liked that album. So Dude, uh, I just want to say that's like, I think so cool. Like, like a different project and pulling someone like you is like a genius in with and we know your sound and, and you sound different on each project and you mm -hmm. contribute your own thing but like bringing you into spawn and then you like adapt and do your dude it's so sick dude yeah i remember some people are friends, great i remember that some people didn't like it like they, they didn't like my oh like pish posh on, on, the, on the smn news forum there were some people that got, <laughs> well, of course on the, the smn news, news forum yeah yeah no, not forum, people, yeah, yeah. Come on. you can't use that <laughs> as a judge forums are there for people to get angry but, but, but oh, they said, dude, it doesn't matter. Only what people in the band think is important. Oh, oh well, yeah, yeah, yeah. That forum taught me how to treat the internet, you yeah, know, right. like, like, or how to how to yeah. how to navigate so those guys. It. Those guys, they that, would have done all much better, right? <laughs> that was it. That was it. They haven't released anything on by themselves, and that's why it's always like that, you know. Yeah. When did you get on those forums, Christian? Were you on those forums? Because we were on those like constantly i mean back in the because it was like our first I wasn't, internet i wasn't very i wasn't i wasn't very active on this i think i was okay I was in there especially <sighs> from the necrophages days on you know i was like uh mm. especially i was watching and, and reading uh, some yeah. things but, but I, wasn't, I wasn't really super active or anything like that. but if, in between maybe i don't know when they started what were they even a thing back in 2005 or something maybe 2005 yeah i think it was around there yeah. or something like that well the best forum of all time was the derek rowdy forum that's all i have to say <laughs> okay <laughs> music for 
it yeah, was all drummers drum nerds sorry i know i know uh -huh. it's like the harmony central one with uh, mike gilbert and stuff. Knows. it was yeah. super yeah. good it's chill yeah george was talking about it. yeah no i yeah. found <laughs> some great stuff but there was good people but there's just shitheads yes yeah, so these forums were like the the toilet of like yeah <laughs> online but i found so much good stuff on there i mean oh yeah that's how like you know christian got in touch with spawn and like it's like you know it's like there's oh, okay. a lot of connections yeah, that were right. made yeah. There's a lot of other connections that we've talked about on here before, like throughout the Definitely, million yeah. episodes that like that mm -hmm. people were basically came into contact with each other and joined bands because they were just reading stuff on there. I mean, obviously, there was the people that like posted 900 times a day that were like, this sucks. Fuck this. Well, you know, like they were like doing that the whole time. Yeah. And like has to be like, you know, like recorded in a trash can and, and black metal. I don't, I don't, you know, people would get like their random yeah. uh, yeah. elitist kind of uh, yeah. thing. And yeah. uh, and basically i mean i i found out a, about a lot of like a ton of music on there it was like people go like the new this just came out and i'll click it mm -hmm. and then like people be like this this is awesome this sucks this is awesome it sucks it's like it'd be like the but you click on it and listen to it and you'd be like oh shit this is like yeah. fucking like gorod uh, gorod we found through there's another bands like similar to gorod that i found out through there that i was like jesus you know like a lot of cool stuff on there but yeah it just turned into like what anthony said it was it was the beginning of the internet for us we didn't know how to deal with because we were in odious mortem and stuff and and then later uh, i was in decrepit with casey and and just the shit people would talk like we yeah. would didn't know how to like deal yeah with that's, it a, back that's then. the thing nowadays you have to as a musician you have to develop a a a, a thick skin you know for these mm. kind of things and you have to yeah the come, there was you know it's, it's I, I see that myself so when i do a new guitar video and then there's like 100 people like it, it gets one over 1000 likes on instagram and everybody says nice things and then one one guy says one thing <laughs> yeah. and then i read this mm -hmm. and i get ah, mm -hmm. like, yeah oh, yeah i get angry for this it's, it's, it's like it's 96 no, percent like likes what the fuck? just yeah. stay away from comments dude yeah 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 yeah, just, yeah. Just, uh, just that i know that one will just be like you I remember like when I first like saw bad comments and stuff on like live videos of us and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um it'd be like all good, all good. And then that one that would just like yeah, and that's the one that like would stick with me. I'd like yeah, say like, to my face, bro. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And you can't like find out who they are because you want to like what band do you play in? Like what you know, you want to do that too. You have no like... videos on their channels, usually they have not played in any bands, you know, because the 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 the, the uh you know, because I remember when we, we played in, in Dallas on the Obscura tour and we played an open air show mm -hmm. and it was in February and it was super cold. Like in the night, it was like almost zero degrees and I couldn't feel my fingers anymore from the second song. And then I invited two of my favorite guitar players, the, the Stein brothers, like like Brad and Scott Steiner, like incredible players from, from this Texas mm -hmm. red scene. And they came to the show and for me, because it was so cold and I felt I played my worst show on the tour exactly when those guys were there, right? When yeah. <laughs> because but they were super cool and they were like no it was great and they were like because they know what the real a real musician they know what these situations are like you know that yeah you can be in and that you're not a robot and and that sometimes these things just happen because everybody's been there and it's only those who only sit in front of the screens and never put themselves out there who, who don't really know what it's like to really deal with all these kind of things and that's why i think all the people who do that, they're never really great musicians. You know, the great musicians don't do yeah. that. They don't even have time to go around and and and, and knock others, especially people that they don't know. You know, and it's usually like a, it's usually like a... oh yeah, it's I'm already they're amazing Derek Taylor too. Yes, I, I I invited Derek to the same show, Derek Taylor, but um, he didn't come. But yeah, mm -hmm. I talked to him on the phone on that day, and he and he always has these great guitar advices. So he said, if your fingers get cold, and just keep them close to your balls. Mm -hmm. 
But I mean, I mean, those guys in Clutch are playing a lot, like Derek Taylor and the Stein brothers and all the, all the people from that. There's, yeah, like those. you said, the, the cold situation. I mean, there was that situation that's all over all the metal news sites today that's actually pretty impressive to me. It's like they were playing, uh, Dan Kenny played that show, but it's like this big festival they're mm -hmm. playing, I forget where, but um, is that band Polyphia, which has, you know, like a lot of weird yeah, stuff yeah, going yeah. on. And uh, they had uh, their monitor, the drummer's monitor went out and the drum tech went up with a drumstick and started hitting oh, I saw that. Uh, guys, yeah, yeah but, hitting his calf with the tempo. tempo. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I was like, that's a you know, that's like one of those nightmare situations that got averted and you know, it's yeah, man, that was definitely fucking like that's I got anxiety reading that, you know. There's some pretty cool drone footage I think I saw today from Dan when Dan was on stage. Definitely. You're talking about that big open air one that they recently played? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Yep. I put the hands good. on the neck too. That's another. What's up, Nicole? Put put your hands. It's a yeah. It's a warm spot. That would work. Just put, your, just put your put your hands in your butt creek. You butt creek. Oh my god! I love I it, dude. I love I'm it. drinking it and I still nah. can't talk. Butt creek, dude. Butt creek. Yeah, then it'll get all wet, dude. You don't want to oh get wet god. hands. Sometimes but, uh, I get butt creek, dude. It sucks. <laughs> Especially being a drummer, dude. Drummers get butt creek all the time. <laughs> it sucks. Yeah, do you remember? Uh, was it someone actually mentioned it on here? Uh, there was that the main shit talker. Yeah, this guy, they're crucified coma. Remember that guy? Like on the SMN forums. Do you remember? Yeah, that he was definitely the elitist yeah. guy you're talking about. He like ran. He, he he ran the forums, and then he would like, yeah, he just like hated everything. Like it would never, like no one knew his name, and he just like was this guy yeah. like, and then we finally found out his name, and it was, and literally was a guy in a kid or was in his mom's basement, like. Obviously, actually doing like that <laughs> yeah but actually yeah. in his mom's basement it was like an actual thing that was happening but there was, was like, like times where we would have me and him would actually be cool because we would talk about hip-hop like we, okay. we we were down like the same shit with hip-hop so he'd be cool with me when we talk about hip-hop but then like he'd be a, a fucking dick if i liked a band that he didn't you know yeah, yeah, yeah. we'd be on the yeah in the background just being like fuck you anthony don't talk to him Mm -hmm. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I stopped talking to him. I was like, all right, dude, that's what I was saying. Like, he he taught me how to ignore trolls, dude. Yeah, like with, with these people, sometimes I like to piss them off on purpose, you know, and put like, yeah, yeah, to something that I really shouldn't listen to because it's so mainstream, you know. Mm -hmm. Or or they like it about Chili Peppers posts or something. <laughs> yeah, yeah, go with so so, something like that. With yeah. with Spawn of Possession, so you linked up with them, did the solos. Did you do? You did touring with them, right? You did some shows. Well, here's with them, the thing. Right? So, so there was a tour which was um, Obscura, Spawn of Possession, Product, and Exivius. It was like the tech death tour Jesus. in Europe in 2012. Wow, that sounds. And sick. I had like I had been diagnosed with my focal stoner. It was before I started the Botox treatment, and I was and mm -hmm. the tour was like starting like two months after an American tour we did with Obscura. And I was like, this is just too much to prepare now. When I shouldn't practice a lot, you know, I can't put my, my hand through that. And I didn't really know yet how to deal with my dystonia. So I was like, I, I cannot do double duty on that night. So then my friend Danny played in Spawn of Possession for me while I was playing with Obscura, basically. And this is then how also later we formed Alkaloid because uh, Danny and me both played in Alkaloid with Hannes and Linus, right? But we went on this. On, I, I knew Danny online for a while, but on this tour was when we really became great friends. Mm. And because he was just the most incredible guitar player I had ever seen. He could play anything, absolutely anything. And um, he played the Spawn of Possession stuff like it was nothing. There's this video where he plays Lash by Lash with the... With Blindfold. Blackboard. Yep, I've seen that one. Oh, yeah, that, that was guy, always the... Dude, that guy. Yeah. God, what a, what a fucking... All right, all right. What a big <laughs> wiener move. 
Jesus, yeah. you just <laughs> you put play Lash Flash blindfolded. I was like, all right, like I yeah, okay, I'll finally I'll quit. I'll quit. Mm-hmm. Well, yes, he was on the tour a couple of days before we played in Slovenia, and there was like a local light guy, and he would have this habit of sometimes turn the lights off completely. So when there were solos going on, we had lots of position shifts. So I was playing a lot of shit out of tune, and the same thing happened to Tumon and Exilius. <laughs> and then, then, he, then he was like, no, I didn't have any problems with that. And then like, oh, come on, <laughs> we all fucked up. And he's like, no, I didn't. I, I never look at my fretboard anyway. And that's why on that last tour, they played this trick where they blindfolded him to see with two, and he really could do it. So yeah, so he was, he, he was. That's <laughs> nightmare too. So do you, is that something that you ever practice is not looking at your guitar? Is that something that you've like just uh, trying? Sports, I mean, yes, you kind of, when you practice, you kind of have to also make sure you engage presence and stuff like that. So there's certain spots where like, yeah, I don't have to look at my fretboard all the time. Like, like I know when, when I'm doing this, but there's things where I just have to look at what I'm playing. And yeah. I, yeah. It's too sketchy to just take yeah. a take a shot blindfolded at it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, definitely. Side note, how hilarious and funny and sick is uh that Exivius uh music video where they're all in the jam room and they're all fucking up the whole music video? <laughs> Have you ever seen that? Um, I don't think I've ever seen that. Shut no. up, dude. Oh, it's so <laughs> funny, dude. It is let's let's pull it up, dude. Uh, I'm serious. I'm you wouldn't say that because I have to look for stuff. All right. Never mind, but it, it's we don't really, have the professor. I'm recommending man, so. everybody go watch it, dude. I forget yeah, what yeah. song it's for, but it's it's them yeah. setting up a jam and they're all just like playing terrible on purpose. But I love it, dude, because it's it, it's you know how sick they are. You know, it's like yeah, yeah. Uh, for those yeah, guys, basically, we're act on like a, they can't they can't play with each other. They, they kind of um, had that cynic vibe, right? They were the, the, like uh, they did. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Guys, yeah. You want to end dropping? They both went cynic. Yeah, good. that's right. They, they did, uh, uh, Timon, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Awesome, man. Got, so you're, yeah, you're... we got to see him live with them. He yeah, did all the death growls too. Him and uh, the bass player and uh, guitar Robin. player, Timon, and another guy. Yeah, what's yeah. his name? The bass player, Robin, 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 Robin. Yeah, name, Robin was amazing. Yeah, he's amazing. Zealhorse, that's right. That's right. So, a couple more questions. We have some. So, what picks do you use? Yeah, uh, I use Dunlop Jazz Three. Very, jazz, me very too. Fuck yeah. Fuck yeah. Well, wait, what? <laughs> use what? Jazz Three. Jazz Three. Is that the thick, thick, thick? Those are small, thick. small little ones. Fuck. I don't, are I don't they are they pretty thick or are they th- medium or thin? It's one, one millimeter. One millimeter, yeah. Oh, so yeah. they're like okay, because I use the the yellows that are like point seven, whatever three, seven. Well, three. the jazz ones are super tiny. It with their with their one. Yeah, they're yeah, quite yeah, tiny. Yeah, yeah. So they're I thicker than. Them, but now I can't even play with others with other picks. Anymore. Yeah, do do you think thicker picks are better for sweeping and stuff? Mm, not not really, no. But I, really? I kind of need a certain thickness for the tone. You know, if they're too thin, then oh, okay. it just the doesn't tone, get the okay. effect that I want. Gotcha, so gotcha. I play the one millimeter ones. So. I remember like Matt Satello would jump sense. between like the thick ones and the, the green super, ones super thin ones you do the thin ones though you do like the super thin ones. i know that how plays super thin ones and says it helps yeah. a lot this is picking it for the time it helps to hide some inaccuracies and stuff but yeah i, I like i like the harder picks yeah yeah yeah, yeah. definitely definitely Fucking okay um i guess how do you approach writing two so two guitar parts are you doing like are you approaching it i mean depending on the part probably you're right like depending the on harmony the part, or I mean, you, yeah and so functional the guitars are at that point Harmonies, I mean, it depends on the situation. Certain things are just to third harmonies when I want this kind of, 
Iron Maiden-ish kind of sound for, for like diatonic scenarios. Sometimes I do the perfect fifth harmony, even when it turns out being bullshit, like the death kind of sound. Sometimes, sometimes yeah. I do complete uh, counterpoint where they like one guitar would go down, would go up, or they would even do different rhythms. But with a high gain sound, we, we did a lot of stuff like that on Anivium. And when you have like a high gain sound with a lot of distortion, this creates a lot of overtones. The counterpoint thing doesn't work as well as when you have like more classical instruments without that kind of amount of distortion. So you have to be a little bit careful with that, even if it, that it still works well live, you know? And sometimes, so when you have like vocal parts, it's really good to have, when you want it punchy, to have the guitars really do the same thing, you know? Like, Judas Priest Definitely. do that a lot where both guitars just really play the same thing all the time. And uh, so it really, it really, really depends on the part. But obviously I like to do counterpoint stuff like this. I do a lot of like a cacophony type leads in eternity's end. Mm -hmm. Where it's not always just a diatonic third. I mean, sometimes it is, but I know, for example, certain arpeggios when you have triads, you harmonize them with inversions, but when you have like four or seven arpeggios, you harmonize them with the next higher scale degree. And really all depends on what kind of sound I want for, for a specific um kind of section. So that, that's really what it that's really what it depends on. I mean, sometimes I do things also, yeah, you had a lot on the New Obscura, especially in some neuromancer where you would have a part where you could divide it into two guitars and it would be different, but I would do things also like in Neurosomentum where the guitar switch the parts and then you hear like arpeggio sections that switch between the left and the right speakers because the guitars play them alternating and they go in between one playing rhythm, the other playing a, a fill and then they switch, you know, and then you hear it switching the sides in the in the, in the headphones. That's so awesome. I like to do stuff like that too from time to time, but you really have to pay attention to pick these things up. And um, there's some counterpoint stuff, for example, in Neuromancer 2 where they would do like almost like a canon kind of stuff or alternating kind of melodies. But yeah. uh, I find this gets very exhausting to listen to if you do it for the entire duration of a song. So it really, it really depends. So speaking of your like insane, obviously you have a really good music theory background and stuff like that in your teaching. How do, are you still offering lessons? Is that something that yeah, people definitely. can reach out I'm, and get? I'm still teaching. This is my main thing that I do during the week. But I limited to like 20 students a week because I, I still need time to record and work on my own things and, and practice for the live shows and all of that stuff. So if I do more than 20, then I don't get to do any of the projects anymore that, that I work on. So that's why the spots are limited. But I still I always have a couple of open spots because it's fluctuating. Some of the people don't go every week, but they go bi-weekly and stuff like that. So How do they get a hold of you? Through Facebook or Instagram, basically, right? Just send me a DM and, okay. then, uh, and then I get back and then we can set something up. So, yeah. Yeah. definitely and some That's of my awesome. students really have been killing it man like one of my students now plays for eruption ian way from, from Canada. he recorded a new eruption album he's playing the tour with them now with subcation atheist um scott obviously was my student and uh, so there's a couple of other ones who are now in bands who are touring so which is really cool to see like um, um vincent from fractal universe he was my student for a long time nice see them like picking yeah. up momentum now and doing tours and stuff and this is really really cool for me to see so oh yeah, uh, yeah. do you uh think like do you like kind of do like modal stuff too like do you think like how do you mean like like, like theory wise like modes like like modal oh yes obviously all the time yeah yeah okay okay cool i, I can all, tell all the time, even, even when you... in writing and just knowing how the modes work that helps the turn yeah when i play leads obviously when i Certainly, like on stuff like Eternity's End, where I write vocal melodies and stuff, this knowledge comes in really, really handy. And there's a lot of modal stuff, especially on the on the uh, older Obscura stuff, like in Cosmogenesis. I was really into that. That on the mm. new one, we did more neoclassical kind of stuff. But even there, my knowledge about modes helps me, even when I play over more like 
heavy metal type of chord progressions. Even then, when I know where, where I have to load in mode, what kind of arpeggios I can play to target the sharp 11 and things like that. So even, even right, more, like Liddy and stuff. The, the, all, yeah. the, even when it's harmonically more simple, like in Eternals and, and on the new Sky, we play more like power metal ish kind yeah. of progressions. Even there, you can do that stuff over the chords, and I still do it. It's just not as blatantly in your face as, for example, it was on Cosmogenesis. But it's still it's still there. It's only like back then I was like, okay, I really want to do this here because yeah. I want to show and doesn't want to have this on. Now it's more part of my language and it just happens how you say it's, it just happens naturally, you know? Yeah, dude. It's kind of like metal is naturally modal music, even like back to Metallica, like they switch in between like a Phrygian thing and then they go back yes. to natural minor, you know what I mean? Like yeah. in between yeah. the song throughout yes, it. Yes, like, like pitch access stuff, you know, where I would like have a root yeah. note. That's the tonal center of, of the riff, but then one riff would be in Phrygian dominant, and the next one would be in Lydian, and the next one would be in Aeolian. Or I would do, I, I do like in the title mm -hmm. track of my second solo record, Beyond the Wall of Sleep, the theme switches between uh, D Lydian and D Aeolian within four bars all the time to kind of paint a picture with different colors and different uh, emotions, basically, right? So I love yeah, yeah. to write like that a lot, obviously, yeah. Yeah. Well, was it. Or, or Ornette Coleman that said like, and he's like, you know, the craziest free jazz dude, like, you know, mm -hmm. ever. He said like, basically like, music is basically switching between major and minor, like in that, in a nutshell. Kind of, but it's and, like, and the modes are then a little bit, little, little bit but more it's, fine. And then the it's twists, like, yeah, like, like, like the, the Dorians or the, the yeah. Lydians and the, you know, and it's kind but it's of all like, just. Well, I, would, yeah. I would more say switching between different emotions. Like when you're telling a story right. and you, Oh, totally. But the character is not then obviously not always in the same mindset all the time, but there's drama and things happening, and this is how you tell a story. Yeah. And, how it goes. and this is kind of how I try to how, how music should be, you know, also this kind of tension and release kind of thing. And when you do like when you play fast, you do it to add intensity. When you use dissonance, you kind of want to resolve right. it at one point because you kind of want, well, want to go somewhere. And this is basically what, what making music is about to me. Dude, totally. And to ask about that, so the interesting thing about that is like I feel like people that are at this like crazy higher level like of playing or theory like they they, yeah. they take something dissonant but then they connect it to the dominant that whole connection and they do all this other right. stuff with it and I was right. listening and I was like holy shit like I was hearing some of that shit in your solos and I was like just I can't even remember which songs and I was I'm hearing this dissonant and then all of a sudden it goes into this like other thing and then a chromatic little little little, little and then a dominant yeah. i'm like fuck yeah it's like a jazz player like what you're going around yeah and and that's like kind of aldi miola stuff like are, are you a fan of aldi miola i'm a fan of aldi miola obviously yeah like, i mean it's, it's, where i've gotten more into really picking every yeah. aldi miola fan and then yeah player, do any more you know and those guys so yeah definitely Mm -hmm. I, mean, I really loved Ella Chan Chipsy. I've listened, listened to the record like oh, dude, a million yeah. times. Maybe. Oh, yeah. Mike Gilbert, he yeah, just popped up in the chat. He's the one who gave me. Uh, oh, yeah. Sorry. I was just talking <laughs> about Aldi Mio and how, who gave it to me. He's in the chat right now. What up, Mike? Oh, Mike. Yeah. Mike Gilbert from Severed Savior. Yep. He turned me on oh. to uh, Friday Night in San Francisco, dude. That's a I, great one. Uh, yeah. I fell I, I down like that <laughs> rabbit hole. <laughs> Yeah, I like his electric stuff too, like like Edge and Chipsy, especially. That's a really, really great record. I mean, mm -hmm, that's almost mm -hmm. metal. And this wasn't my Land name. of the Midnight Sun. There's the yeah, last track on that album sounds like a yes. pro like a pre spastic ink style song. Yeah, absolutely. And only could tell Dream Theater Liquid Tension Experiment, they all were like into that kind of stuff. Right. Like, like, Definitely. Yeah. Was it like Return to Forever was his first gig yep. out of school and then he, he left right. berkeley into right. that and then they had another great player called bill connors and bill connors had this legato thing going on kind of like ellen holdsworth and and they people kind yeah. of used him a little bit in the 70s 
that's a really really great right. underrated player too to be honest yeah. huh cool that's awesome dude yeah so it's just I mean, and I, I know Mike's a big fan of Aldi Mule and like a lot of people. Dude, have you seen that he hosts these like dinners and you can pay like it's like, I don't know, yeah. like $20,000. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like, dude, it's like, like three or four thousand dollars. And he makes you like his, him and his wife make oh, you I dinner and more than that with him. Yeah. Is it more than that? Like, I think it's like 10 at least or 20 or something. I thought it being like maybe like five or six, but it, I don't maybe think it's it gone up. 10. I don't know. I don't think it, it was. 10. Maybe I'm tripping. Maybe I'm wrong. I don't but know. it looked like a good dinner, you know, but <laughs> it's 50, dude. <laughs> yeah. Check out it. Yeah, yeah, I think he likes to cook Italian. That's probably oh, the meal dude, you would get. Oh god, it would be the best, man. Oh man. Yeah, dude. Yeah, but it's still um, wouldn't pay for that. Oh yeah. <laughs> oh, the, the higher press one gets you a guitar. Ooh. <laughs> Mike knows. Yeah, he's on it. Probably gets dude. you like an ovation or something. Oh or it's PRS. a PRS Prism. Oh, Prism. Okay, or religion. Okay. Nice. Ovations. Uh, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Do you like to play acoustic guitars? Christian? Yeah, but the, but the thing is that I mean I, I did some uh, Aldemiola style acoustic soloing on my last solo record. There's a song called "Blades of the Brotherhood," and it has like in the middle section where the band stops, and then right, yeah, okay, kind of stuff. Yeah, um, but it's hard for me because of the dystonia. I get these Botox injections. I don't have the same mm. strength in my hand anymore like I used to. So yeah, yeah. because it weakens the, the muscles a little bit, so playing acoustic is is hard for me physically. So I don't do it as much, but I but I still really really like it, and you kind of have to play super clean to kind of uh, kind of really hear the notes. Yeah. What does the Botox do? Does it like? Well, um, so, so they're injecting this here in the in the the flexor muscle because my middle finger pulls from this muscle and from this one. So mm -hmm. what happens? They, and the muscles go in your forearm, so they inject two times, always to weaken this muscle and this one. It basically, weakens or even destroys the flexor muscle. So then what happens is that it doesn't flex as much anymore, only a little bit, but not as, as hard as it would without the Botox. Mm -hmm. So I can sometimes even use it in some passages, but that really depends on how the how well the injection goes. And um, okay. and it makes it easier for my other fingers because it doesn't do this anymore. It's only like a little bit like that. And then I can I can play much better. Uh, but they don't do this work it. in the same way every time. So there's always a little bit of a it's always a little bit temperamental. Sometimes it works really well. And I can play things that I couldn't do without, and sometimes it doesn't work so well, and I have to adjust. And so, it's never the same. Uh, but how often? How often do you have to get the injections? Well, now I now I do it only two times a year. I used to go like every three mm -hmm. months, but now I do it like two times a year. And uh, in before the last two, it worked really well. So mm -hmm. I was I was I was lucky with that one. Uh, and I have to see how it goes for the European tour. But uh, that's yeah. So two two times a year usually I go now. Mm -hmm. One side note, actually. Uh, so Gabe Sieber. Is like one of my best friends and yeah, he's uh, awesome he's the man <laughs> yeah that's what he that's what he said about you he was like uh really? you know yeah, we had, we we had so much fun on this tour man he's 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 such a cool dude and that's what he said i mean we went stuff, to, uh, you never i think i think it's impossible to run into any problems with that guy it's, it's just yeah yeah oh yeah so nice so everything yeah. he's like the best person to tour with he just nailed yeah. he does does his fucking job amazingly yeah and then like is super easy to get along with but uh yeah, yeah he, he was, was saying uh, he was texting me like on the on you guys were first starting a tour. He's like, I think he's all well, Christian's like the sickest. He's like, I have the most fun. Like we party, like we hang out and stuff. Christian's yep. like the I've, he's like fucking the funniest guy here. Like and all that shit. He was like raving about you. He was like, <laughs> yeah, we had we had that was a really really super fun tour, man. We had we, we partied so much all the fucking time. It, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah, it was it That's was awesome, man. Yeah. So you, you're in uh, Mexico right now, right? So you're I'm in Mexico right now, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So okay. So it's not a 
not a German Christian we're seeing. We're seeing a, a Mexican. Well, I'm, I'm German, but I'm, but I'm residing in Mexico. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, man. Um, I definitely, I know. I thank you for your time. I know that uh, you, you know, had a limited time and stuff. You were saying, yeah. are you? Uh, are you, yeah, I know you. Uh, probably got like 300 uh, guitar lessons and um, 900 songs to write. <laughs> but uh, <laughs> every day, all tomorrow. <laughs> he needs to practice more. I know I need to practice. Um, I'm gonna throw it on for, uh, for Anthony because I actually just listened to some of it, and this is pretty funny. That Xevious thing, real quick. Yeah, let's let wrap it up with that, and then we'll we'll uh, raid Justin. <laughs> yeah, yeah, totally. Ah, uh, here I'm we like, go. I'm like, how do I do it? <laughs> this is it, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> They're all cracking up. <laughs> Oh, yeah, I like it. <laughs> <laughs> it probably won't even catch any algorithm either because the song's played so horribly. <laughs> Robin's getting down. <laughs> I don't know what you guys are talking about. This is sick. <laughs> oh my god. Oh, so they're breaking it down. What are they going to do for the breakdown? Some free shit, dude. <laughs> you guys are just getting freaky, man. You know, stepping out. Get us some conda points right there. Ah. Wow. Think of the theory dude. involved. Just, uh... yep. <laughs> He's getting down. <laughs> yeah, I can't wait. <laughs> Nicole. <laughs> he just looks like he's lost, dude. Ooh, what a...
just missing all the sweeps. <laughs> Holy shit. <laughs> oh my goodness. My ears are bleeding. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. Oh, he's detuning. you can hear the bass. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god. <laughs> Nightmare fusion. Oh my god. Oh, minor second harmonies. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Minor seconds, dude. The one I know about like... this. Yeah. <laughs> Inside joke. We're almost to the end, guys. See how they end it. <laughs> <laughs> that ending. Incredible. Oh, yeah. Okay. Good Lovely, stuff. dude. Well, fuck yeah, Christian. Hey, guys, it was my pleasure. Thanks so much for the invitation. Yeah. yeah. On that note. Yeah, dude. Yeah, yeah, I know. <laughs> On that absolute shredding note. Yeah, man. No, for <laughs> sure. We wanted to go strong. to you for a long time, man. And I'm stoked to see you still on the road and hitting it. And hope to see you soon. I really appreciate you coming on. Yep. Yeah, dude. Yeah, so yeah, thanks for the invitation. This is All a right. great conversation, care, dude. Definitely. Yeah, and um, again, hit up uh, all everything that those websites that he mentioned earlier. Uh, Cali Death oh, yeah. Podcast. Uh, Bandcamp.com, Chris Germans. That is basically where you, can, where you can buy all my stuff, as you all should, obviously. Yes. Buy all um, stuff. And you can hit me up for, for lessons, guest solos, all that stuff. Oh, yeah. Just message me on Facebook or Instagram. And, uh, and I'll get back usually. If totally. <laughs> oh, yeah. uh, are we going to rate Justin too? Well, Nicole thought... says, We love you, Christian. And I'd like to oh, also rate that. We all love you, Christian. Hell yeah, for coming Thanks. on. Yeah. Well, yeah. hell yeah, dude. Right now. <laughs> yeah. And, and for us, uh, CaliDeathPodcast.bigcartel.com if you want to support. Um, thank you so much to everybody that's been hanging with us tonight and uh thank you to everybody who's going to hear this tomorrow watch it on youtube uh hit us up at our all, all the socials instagram facebook that's where we talk about this stuff first we post you'll hear about who's going to be each week before you know the show happens so that's cool um <clears throat> yeah and uh we love you guys right, like dude. and subscribe if, if you haven't and uh joel we is that all good can we 
It's all good. We are good to we go. We can Thank end you, it before you rate. All right, cool. All right. Right Peace on. Out, guys. Everybody, guys, have a great Get rest ready. of your week. We'll see you guys next yep. week. Bye-bye. Yep. Awesome. Bye.